the Koi Gig Pod. I wouldn't even look at them. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even prepare to play against them because you do know what you don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> we could beat them six nil, or we could lose six nil. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Good morning. Thursday, Wednesday, Wednesday. Got it wrong straight away. Good start. Happy to back to Women's Day. But uh, Johnny we start Ward. Again? We, we, we can't start again. We've got to just roll with it. Um, I'm not the first presenter in this chair to get the day wrong. It is Wednesday. It is hump day. And uh, Johnny Ward's beside me in the studio. Good morning, Johnny. Good morning, Shane. And Nathan Murphy is on the line. Good morning, Nathan. What a pleasure. It's always a pleasure, Nathan, I have to say. Um, missed you since Monday, of course. Um, Likewise. Yeah. Couldn't, keep, couldn't stay away. Exactly, exactly. Uh, an interesting night in the Champions League as well last night, lads. We'll get to the League of Ireland in, uh, in just a sec. But um, Chelsea, I didn't fancy them, I have to say, before the game. But then again, Dortmund missing a few key players. They were, what, 10 wins, I think, in a row? Borussia Dortmund before last night's game. But um, they got the job done. Yeah, it was it was a very good game, I thought, Shane. Um, I was surprised at how strong Chelsea were uh, favourites because I'd like, uh, in a kind of a... I guess German versus English battle that the most recent I'd seen was Leipzig and Man City and Leipzig were good mm. and Dortmund as you say in great form good players as well second in the table Chelsea have been struggling under Potter didn't look great against Leeds on Saturday it looked like they just needed any sort of a win just to get over the line I think that gave them confidence the place seemed to be rocking last night yeah. Havertz was just very good wasn't he just in that sort of deeper position and uh, I think the main talking point for me was the taking of the penalty the second time because we, we we spoke a little bit off air. I, I wasn't really familiar with what happens when there there are encroachers effectively from both sets of players. And Havertz was very unlucky because I mean how he would have he hit the post twice where like I think your xG from both shots would have been that if it hits the post at least one of them goes in anyway. And um, but then that crucial second goal, the second taking of the penalty, and I thought it was a measure of him as well um, that he took the penalty. I always feel that when a a team changes penalty taker after the first one misses, I've, I often I think it's it's not a great idea. Like just give give the same player the penalty again. But I don't know what you made of it, Nathan. It was kind of funny because the, 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 there was clear encroaching, but there, the Chelsea players were encroaching as well. And um, I, I don't think anyone would really have complained if nothing happened. Mm. Well, the rule is though that the defending team is the one that's always punished. Yeah. So if if you're a defender, do not go in. You're the one who's going to uh, who's going to give up another penalty so the problem was as well that the way the ball hit off the post it came right back into the middle of all the players yeah. so it was one of those Borussia Dortmund players who ends up clearing the ball now there's no Chelsea player directly behind them so nothing is going to happen but if the penalty is scored are they going to disallow it for the Chelsea encroachment you don't seem to see that quite as often uh, mm-hmm. maybe if both of them are going in in that case they let the goal stand but I think the fact that the ball hit the post I, I was the opposite of you the way he was looking to the heavens uh, before taking the second penalty uh, <laughs> his form this season his form in this game I didn't have a huge amount of confidence of Kai Havertz sticking that one away but did the exact same thing up. did the exact same thing like there was again the, the way the 
good penalty takers currently take it is that they whip it low into the bottom or top corner at as much pace as they possibly can. It doesn't give you much wiggle room at all. And they're trying to hit it into the side netting. And he was only a couple of inches off with the first one. But that's if they had missed that, what does it do to the game? What does it do for Priestley Dortmund? We'll never know. But I was with you. I wasn't expecting a huge amount from this game in terms of quality. I thought Chelsea just try and grind it out again. Much like Saturday, they just need to find a way of getting through. But they were brilliant and the atmosphere, it felt like it really mattered at Stamford Bridge for the first time in a long, long time. And that was as good as we've seen Chelsea. It, not even just as good as we've seen Chelsea under Graham Potter. It's way ahead of what we've seen from Chelsea under Graham Potter so far. I think some of it you'd have to put down to having their better players on the pitch. It's been a real rarity for Chelsea over the last couple of years to have both Reese James and Ben Chilwell on the pitch at the same time. And the two of them were... Excellent last night. Mateo Kovacic and Enzo Fernandez in midfield. They really got on top of the Borussia Dortmund midfield. It was a tough enough night for Jude Bellingham. You could see at the end he'd really lost it. He was getting properly stuck in. It was a bad challenge on Reese James right at the very end of the game. But Bellingham was under pressure from right from the start. Kovacic really drove Chelsea forward. Fernandez looks a listen, is he ever going to justify the fee? Who knows? But he looks like a top, top quality midfielder. And Still, you'd have question marks about the front three. Like Raheem Sterling, how many times could he get caught off? I know it's, I know it's a very fine line, but on nearly all those occasions, he didn't need to be offside. It would have been clear to her anyways. His finishing wasn't great. Uh, um, Havertz just doesn't score enough goals. Jao Felix flitted in and out of the game. But it looks all of a sudden like Chelsea are in a better position if they can keep that midfield together. And they've got a lot of good defenders there as well. Just going to interrupt you because according to the YouTube comments... Nobody can hear us right now. Uh, apparently, it's the most sense that we're making ever. So, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I will, I will say this just in case there anyone is listening, because what you often find uh, in broadcasting is that it's going out somewhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, the second you start thinking nobody's listening, in the you ether. find yourself in court. <laughs> Five and a half yeah. minutes in, yeah, yeah. I was, I was at court. Now that nobody's listening, I can say what I really think about Johnny Ward. <laughs> I, I did enjoy your uh, Instagram feed yesterday. I have to say, I mean, front of the paper. Um, obviously I think people don't need any explanation if you can see this it must be a very proud moment for the family to have three of the kids in the front of the paper there <laughs> but you were there and uh, I, I thought you did a nice job you kind of summed it up nicely <laughs> I was just walking home lovely sunny afternoon I was walking I was this is a lovely day in Dublin and I just saw a cr- small crowd gathered outside the Court of Appeals uh, along the River Liffey there and I was like oh what's going on here and yeah it was the the, uh, the Burke family from Mayo doing their little um, I suppose it was a soapbox they were having their yeah. A few words after that. The so we'll keep mentioning they're from Mayo. They, yeah. why, why do we need the Mayo mention? <laughs> just because you're on this morning, the, Nathan. Um, just, there's no need. I they like could be it. from anywhere. It's just a pure coincidence. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've real, I've real sympathy for the kids. I have to say, I actually saw a far right protest in Dublin yesterday near the airport. Really? Well, yeah, a lot of Irish flags and some figures of immigration nonsense or something. So yeah, they were all out yesterday. All out. Yeah. yeah so uh, that was my that was my walk home. What's this about golf? A good walk ruined. So I had yeah. That. <laughs> yeah, just leave that one there, yeah. Good walk ruined yesterday, walking home. But it was a lovely day. Lovely day in Dublin. The um, Mayo-based Burke uh, clan. Yeah. Uh, apparently, app users can hear us. So as you say, Nathan, someone out there can always hear us. So if you're tuning in on the OTB Sports app, that's that, that's your that's your bonus for having the OTB Sports app downloaded. Because you're the only people in the world right now that can hear us. Uh, apparently, we're having issues on, on YouTube and a couple of the streams. Uh we shall, we shall talk Patrick Gall says oh, lads, this is pathetic it's what happens with, with Hannon in the main seat so mm-hmm. I'm getting the blamed apparently for the 
for the sound yeah, issues. It's uh, something came down from high saying just do not turn on his mic. <laughs> um, it would be funny if it was just my mic not working. Getting getting back to the game though, I, I think for Potter, you, you you do definitely feel some happiness for him, just the pressure he was under, and I, I you feel. The crowd, like in the last couple of games, was just willing them to just win, and and they've kept a couple of clean sh- sheets now. In the sense of um, probably rode their luck a bit last night, but this could be the start of the Potter regime. Like a lot of talk about the, the amount of players in the squad, but they were all playing for him without a shadow of a doubt. And it's maybe just we're back, are we? We're back. There we go. Everyone on we're YouTube, back. everyone on Facebook, everyone on Twitter, you've been looking at us mouthing words for the last what seven eight minutes. But we haven't been talking shite. We've generally been having... Pro- I think it was the best seven or eight minutes we've ever had, in fact. You just missed it. Yeah. But, uh, it appears everyone missed it, so don't worry. Uh, but it's myself, Johnny Ward, and Nathan Murphy uh, with you for the for the first half an hour of, of the show or so on this Wednesday morning. I did get the day wrong at the start of the show, and no one heard that, but now I've outed myself once again. Um, Graham Potter, is the pressure is the pressure off? Uh, have the the it does feel it does feel doesn't it that last night the sense around Stamford Bridge was he'll get to the end of the season which means he'll get another transfer market he'll get a full pre-season with this group yeah and maybe he'll have an opportunity to turn this around I don't remember a manager in recent times where there's been such such pity for like there's a real sense of I'll just keep him in the job but they're losing all their matches and they don't score any goals with one of the most expensively assembled squads I've ever seen but he deserves a chance he's mm. he's getting. Yeah, and maybe, listen, the obvious thing would be because he's English, he gets a little bit more of a free ride than other managers. I, I don't think that would be fair in him. I, he's had such a brilliant story. He is what you want uh, from somebody in football who hasn't had the career at the very, very top, but has gone off, has educated himself, has gone around Europe, has done everything right and has managed to work his way up that ladder that he deserves more than just a few weeks at a basket case of a club who have spent an insane amount of money, probably without discussing with him a huge amount, that he should be given time to spend a summer on the training ground with the players to figure out what his best 11 is, to get rid of the players he doesn't want. Like That's definitely an issue, is that they have so many players available right now. There's got to be a huge amount of big personalities who aren't getting anywhere near enough game time and how you manage them and you can't manage all of them so he just needs to get rid of some of them during the summer and he's a good manager we've seen from what he did at Brighton he's a very good manager the question is that he's always had a problem at Brighton with his teams scoring goals and he was given a bit of a free pass because they were at that lower level and they never had a world-class striker I think Neil Mopé was their top scorer for the last couple of years and he wasn't even reaching double figures. But now they're having problems scoring goals again with a huge amount of talent. I'm not convinced all of them are at the very, very top, but he doesn't seem to be able to get his front three linking up in a way that's going to devastate teams. Again, doesn't seem quite sure as to how to get the best out of somebody like Mudrick, who, you know, now we're looking at that little cameo against Liverpool where he looked like he was going to be absolutely devastating. We've barely seen him since. Uh, How does he get him into his team and get the very best out of him? How does he keep Raheem Sterling happy if he's not playing all the time? How does he get Sterling back to his very best where he's taken the sort of chances he was missing last night? So I think he's definitely done enough with that victory to probably get him to the end of the season. But like every Chelsea manager, if he does survive till the start of next season, he's going to have to start fast. You know what he needs to do? I think he needs to sign a few players. I don't think their squad is is deep enough. I don't think they have enough players. Well, in that squad. you say that. I, I they do it feels still need a striker. Yeah, they need somebody who's actually going to go and lead the line. Like, is he happy with Joao Felix? Like, Kai Havertz is not that player. I get the. He feels almost like a an Irish striker. In we give him that. He works hard for the team. You know, he does does a lot of on scene work. Just doesn't score enough goals. Like 
the Chelsea striker needs to be scoring a lot of goals. It's mad. Imagine, imagine spending half a billion and, and not buying a, a proper number 10. Did you see Joe Felix's press conference yesterday? One of the one of the journalists, uh, now this came out of nowhere, one of the journalists was like, is it true that we have been pronouncing your name entirely wrong the whole time? And Joe Felix was like, well, yeah, every journalist in England, and it, it, it happened, previous club as well, pronounces it wrong. My name is Joao Felix. 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 Right. But we've all been calling him Felix. And he's like, yeah, I don't know why I don't know why people call me Felix. It's just it's just stuck. But my name is Joy Felix. Sorry, because like Felix, there you go. Like Felix. They, they're actually contenders in the in the Champions League now. I think you wouldn't really fancy playing them. It, it looks it looks to me it looks quite open. I mean, um, like this is a team I think that'll just grow in confidence a bit. Mm. They're just at times last night they were very good. I thought. Yeah, and, and like as Nathan mentioned, the uh, the lack of goals has been an issue. But that's the first time I think this this year calendar year in 2023 that they've scored two goals in a match. You could Clean see in shoot. front of goal as well their confidence, but it's it's like Sterling to get confidence from scoring. Um, they, they scored from a set piece on Saturday, and they hit the post. I think at least one Saturday as well. They, they will get confidence from that, like you know. Yeah. If you're well, even the goal, even the first goal that Sterling scored, sure he tried every possible yeah. way to make a complete mess of it. <laughs> and you know, Karen Carney made a good point when Kai Havertz uh, smacked one in from twenty five yards when Sterling had been offside of. You could sort of tell by the way he finished it that he knew he was offside. Yeah, it yeah. Was a sort of more relaxed nature that when the pressure was on, they were still missing chances. But yeah, Champions League always feels somewhat wide open. I know we often say the last few years it's been Liverpool or Manchester City and then Real Madrid come in and surprise everybody. Madrid do look the strongest and they have the know-how. But Chelsea have done this before. And at the next, this, this group, the last 16 fixtures feel like they're going to throw up a few more surprises than we maybe expected. Mm-hmm. Maybe a couple of teams drop out. And if you get a nice draw, along the way like they're in the quarter final already it doesn't take an absolute miracle now for them to suddenly find themselves in a in a Champions League final and yeah last night again I thought I thought midfield Fernandez and Kovacic mm. remember they're still missing N'Golo Kante maybe N'Golo Kante doesn't play again this season maybe he doesn't play again for Chelsea uh, but Kovacic stood up last night and really brought that game to Borussia Dortmund so if they can keep those four I think if they can keep Chilwell and James we're talking about maybe uh at their best, as good a fullback partnership as there is in the Premier League. Yeah. I know people will say Alexander Arnold and Robertson, but they, they provide a different thing for Chelsea. They're far more important, I think, almost for Chelsea than the other two are for Liverpool because so much comes through the two of them. I think that might have been the fourth game in 50 that the two of them have been able to start for Chelsea. Wow. Jude Bellingham is so impressive to listen to in post-match interviews. Like he, he, You forget how young he is when he speaks because he's so like articulate mm. uh, and interesting to talk, to talk to and to listen to. Um and and you mentioned Kovacic. Like Kovacic did a job on him last night in many ways. Like he had the legs, I guess, to to control him and to nullify that. I know Dortmund were missing players, but Dort- uh, Bellingham was was kept out of the game for large periods. Yeah, I, I, it was one of the quieter games that we've seen him. He obviously had a couple of chances as well. Didn't go his way, and you could tell, you could sense his frustration in the last ten minutes. He was just he's getting involved in every little scrap mm-hmm. and niggle. I always admire a player who fight with his international teammates as well. Like he was having a proper go at Chilwell. He obviously nailed uh, Reese James right at the very end. <laughs> so it wasn't one of his, his best nights, but it's hard. To, I know the talk yesterday, there was quite a lot of rumours as always swirling around him that his father was meeting Real Madrid's representatives in London ahead of the game, that Bruce Dortmund were growing a bit more confident that he might stay, that they were going to triple his wages and put him on about 350 grand a week. Like he is going to be the story of the next three or four months. And whether it is Real Madrid, whether it is Liverpool, or maybe Manchester City can steal in and get him as well. But wherever he goes, 
he's going to make your midfield a hell of a lot better. It's funny when Birmingham City retired his number when he left as a what sixteen-year-old. I was like, this is ridiculous. Mm. I can kind of understand it now. Yeah. Makes a little bit more sense now, a few years later than than it did at the time. Uh, for people who maybe didn't hear us at the start of the show talking about the, the Kai Havertz penalty incident and the encroachment hashtag encroachment. Um, like it took it took nerves from Kai Havertz not only to step up again because I saw the in, uh, interview on 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 the pitch with um, himself and Raheem Sterling after the game with BT and like Reese James was the other option they could have brought him in to take the the second attempt but like he took it and not only that but did the same penalty like literally was like I'm gonna go the exact same place gonna watch the keeper and. Uh, Nailed it. Like it's, that, it's that takes nerves too, because you, you, you can change your mind as a penalty taker. I know yeah. myself at Sunday League football, Johnny. Yeah, you former can your mind. United um, mascot. It, it's, yeah. a, it's a strange one, though, in the sense of if you miss a penalty, why does that make you any less kind of uh, viable as the penalty taker a minute later? When you were you were the penalty taker literally a minute ago, why are you now not the well, I penalty think taker? Because you're bound. There's bound to be a psychology there where you're shook a little bit and you're overthinking the second kick. Surely. Possibly, but not not necessarily either. I mean, if you're a penalty taker, it should be fairly routine in terms of what you do, regardless of whether it's in on the training ground or whether 80,000 people there. You know, you have a good idea of what the goalkeeper you're facing is likely to do from doing your analysis beforehand. Um, but it seems to be a thing that, yeah, we'll, we'll change it. And I was, I was delighted that he took the second one and just literally yeah. uh, control all and is it V for yeah control control V just literally <laughs> copy and paste Let do it again he's a good FIFA man do, um, do you know the, the funny thing though Nathan it, if you add in the League of Ireland and, and the Premier League it was one of the most ridiculous couple of days of, of basket cases results I've ever seen because Liverpool like scored seven goals from eight shots on target against Man United a game where I really fancied Man United to yeah. I, I fancied Man United anyway does this now mean that Liverpool and I, I just thought it was a bit strange that Klopp ruled out the Real Madrid game if Liverpool get one goal in Madrid if they could get seven Man United are not far off Real Madrid right if they can't and Salah had a great game it, maybe it's not over if you can score seven uh, against Manchester United you can score seven anywhere um, I, I think it's understandable why he's not going to come out and say listen we're going to go and do this again there's no doubt if the game was at Anfield if the second leg was at Anfield it'd be a very very different conversation mm. about this particularly with the history of the Barcelona semi-final the problem for Liverpool is can they, they, there's no doubt they can go and score three goals. Can they get through a game against the quality of Real Madrid mm. without conceding as well? And they've kept, that's they've like, kept five clean sheets in a row in the league, I think. Yeah. But the psychology of them having to go, like they were, remember it was, it was one nil. What, how long was it into the game before Cody Gakpo scored that open goal? Liverpool didn't need to push it at all against Manchester United. Mm. I think Liverpool would have probably taken a draw in that game as well. They were sort of happy to bide their time. Um, knowing the form that Manchester United were in, I, I think they could definitely go and score three goals against Real Madrid, but can they keep Real Madrid out at the other side? You're right, defensively, like Canate makes an enormous difference uh, compared to Mati for Gomez, not just in the defensive solidity, but I think in also in the way that Alexander-Arnold seems to feel a bit more confidence in being mm. able to get forward if Canate is alongside him. But Liverpool at the best, we know are absolutely devastating there hasn't been enough of it for them this season. Does that result kick them on over the next month where they play Real Madrid, where they play Manchester City, where they play Arsenal, Chelsea, and they go and they go on the sort of run they've gone on before? Still wouldn't be fully convinced, but you're right. Like a three, when you need three, if you can get one, you can kind of get the second at any time because you just set yourself up for a frantic finale mm-hmm. and then you somehow nick the third and send it to extra time. It's just, 
still not convinced they can hold out Real Madrid without scoring yeah. for 90 minutes. Yeah, it's a tall ask. It's going to gonna be fun, I think. It's giving them hope, at least. It's you know, to that, get the that first result. goal. I remember Ger, being on with Ger on, it must have been one of the OTBMs where he said, like, Liverpool are totally out of the Champions League race now. And all of a sudden, they're far from it. Like, they're actually in a great position if they keep playing as they are. I don't know. I... I, I, I you look at the stats that game and you're like, how did that happen? Like, it just yeah. don't, I mean, they're only, they're only seven, off, seven points off Manchester United and that is nothing when you look at, what, 13, 13 games left? Mm. And Newcastle, Newcastle's form for me as well, they're just not scoring enough goals at the moment. Spurs are Spurs. Liverpool probably out of the Champions League after the, that's one more concern out of the way after the Madrid game. Yeah, they're two of the tougher in the games, as I said, which, so they need to try and keep the momentum going. Mm. Uh, you know, Newcastle, as you say, they're starting to concede a few more. They've had a couple of injuries. Wilson has gone off form. Isaac has struggled to get himself fully fit and into the side. So they're looking a little bit more fallible right now. Tottenham haven't been able to put together a run of results all season. So it's there. But this is always the race for fourth place. It's always this slow bike race where yeah. it's made up of three teams who are struggling for a bit of form. It's never, like, there's never, I can't remember a time when the team has finished fourth has been in the title race right up to the last month of the season and it's just suddenly dropped off. It's always this scrap between the bigger teams who are out of form and maybe another side throws themselves into the mix as well. But Liverpool, the one thing they have in their favour is their history of closing out seasons very, very well. It did feel a couple of years ago when Alisson scored that goal that it was even a more desperate situation where it felt like they were completely done and they still managed to grind out uh, enough results to just about get themselves over the line. They've won the important games in the scrap of the top four. Like they've beaten Newcastle twice. Yeah. Uh, they were the only side to have beaten Newcastle in the Premier League. So like that suddenly is a massive swing there. Let's see what happens when they have to play the rest of the teams uh, above them over the next month. But yeah, yeah right now I'd imagine... Uh, Bucky's boys, I'd imagine, are probably favourites to finish in the top four. Yeah, some big fixtures, as you say, Nathan, coming up for them across the next uh, month before and after the international break. OTBM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now at 7.51am. Keep your comments, by the way, coming in on the YouTube stream. Just a couple of them for you. Jim Sullivan, haha, loving the deluded Liverpool fanboys. I don't think that's, I don't think that's it at all. I think if you beat your close, closest rival 7-0, Understandably, you start to believe that you can reverse a 3-0 deficit in the Champions League. I think that's that's fairly normal. Um, more comments as well. Any, any mention from Shifty Lad of the retaken penalty? Yeah, we did discuss it. Columns here asking me in the chat, what way did I put my penalties? Or do I put my penalties? I always eye up the keeper, not quite Ivan Tony-esque, and act as if I'm going to put it to my right. And usually send with your eyes the keeper to that. And you're left-footed, go, aren't you? Go, I'm right-footed. Oh, you're right-footed, sorry. You yeah. kick with both, but... Yeah. Humble brag, uh, but put it to my left. Hopefully, send the keeper the wrong way. So you're putting it across yourself, which I always find is more risky, because you, you feel like you can quite easily put it into the bottom right if you're. Well, right our producer just made the point. You've just told everyone your secret now, so you've mm. kind of given it away. It's a fair point. Yeah, I never Mon- thought of that. Monaghan Town. Well, it'll yeah. make it even more. Quality is so good. Yeah, Quality exactly. Is so good, there's you just, just can't save them. There's just no stopping it. Yeah. Put it right in the corner, lads. Save those. Um, uh, Chocolate Rain says Havertz was sensational last night. Great name as well, by the way. Uh, League of Ireland, lads. Was uh, was a bit of action on, on Monday night. Shamrock Rovers. I mean, we were kind of talking to uh, Chris Medland on the Formula One yesterday, and how Max Verstappen pulled away in the first race of the season, and already you're thinking, ah, this is going to be a procession again. They're mm. going to go on and win it. Shamrock Rovers losing has uh, ironically added a little bit of interest and intrigue. They're not going to necessarily run away with the league this year, well, Johnny. They, they, they lost. They lost to Derry, but like uh, you know, that that in itself was wasn't a major surprise. And Derry. Um, don't have quite as many players out in key positions at the moment and I honestly thought like so I was at the Galway United game in Watford came back and 
it was like 12 o'clock I said I'll, I'll throw on some of the Derry Rovers game anyway and I just I watched the whole lot I honestly thought it was such a good uh, such, such quality in the game really good passages of play in midfield and I was like okay Shamrock Rovers deserve to get a draw there nothing to worry about the players coming back but then they conceded four at home to Cork City like and it could have been six and with all due respect to Cork City um, you know their team that got promoted they wouldn't be absolutely blessed with attacking quality at this level and you know Stephen Bradley saying they could have conceded six they again showed their battling qualities by coming back from two goals down with like six seven minutes to go um, but now they go to Talca Park on Friday and you're like how many, how many more points can they drop here without it being a bit of an issue because I, I don't know what Nathan thinks and I know Nathan goes to quite a lot of Rovers games I'd say Gary O'Neill not playing in midfield is a big issue for them Pico Lopez um, getting sent off in the first game could could be the difference in them winning and losing the league at the moment because they've lost so many points on Derry but I don't know what you made of the game Nathan on, on Friday I think whatever about the you know the, the, the results the weekend the, the, the backdrop of Tala the, the quality of the pitch as well that it wasn't played on AstroTurf it was played on proper grass pitch in Dublin and a nice night um, full house and just a goal like the the, 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 the whole the whole package for me was exactly where the Ireland, League of Ireland needs to be. Yeah, it felt big. Even though we were only three games into the season, it felt very big with the fact that you had over 7,500 people there. Uh, the quality of the football was was really good, even though you felt both sides have still uh, quite a bit to go as to where they'd exactly want to get to. Rovers had their three first-choice centre-backs suspended. It wasn't just Pico Lopez, obviously. Uh, Cleary had been sent off. Grace had been sent off in the previous game, so they were missing all of them. And you're right, the Gary O'Neill one is interesting. So they obviously feel Gary O'Neill, one of the best midfielders in the league, uh, was the right man to play in the heart of the defence. He played there again on on um, Monday night, even with uh, two of the centre-backs returning. They obviously felt he could give them a bit of control at the back, but you lose so much from the midfield by putting him back there. I wonder, was it worth the sacrifice that actually not having him there to run the show took so much away from Rovers against, you know, the team that are almost their equal in terms of challenging for the title this season in Derry. So yeah, I thought Rovers played very well in the first half and on Friday night and probably should have had a couple more goals. Didn't take their chances. Uh, Derry hadn't shown up massively in the first 45, but second 45, it, it changed completely and Derry were, were totally on top and fully deserved to win that second half. Like Monday night's game is one of the craziest games I've ever seen against Cork City. Uh, finished 4-4. There were 33 shots for Shamrock Rovers and 12 for Cork. So 45 Jeez. shots across the game. Rovers had 17 corner kicks and every single one of them nearly resulted in a goal. Cork were an absolute mess at the back. And st- you sh- if you haven't seen Rory Gaffney's first goal, which he took unbelievably well when he dribbles through a couple of players inside the penalty mm. area. But Cork must have had four different opportunities to clear the ball and didn't mm. do it. And that happened countless times. And the worry for Stephen Bradley is you look at the defending and maybe Shamrock Rovers' defending was worse than Cork City's. Yeah. You say Cork came to play. They didn't come uh, until... I say Colin Healy's very frustrated with the last 10 or 15 minutes in that they just sat back so much and they couldn't get out of their own penalty area and they invited Rovers onto them. And even at 4-2 down, the way Rovers responded to conceding the fourth and the, how quickly they started creating chances, you thought that they could win this. Mm. They could easily score three goals quite quickly. They were creating so many opportunities. Uh, but they were 
all over the place. At the back, they were getting at each other. Cleary and Jack Byrne were having a right go at each other after the concession of the fourth goal. Uh, they seemed to struggle, I think, maybe for a bit of pace in midfield rovers. So they were being caught out on the counter-attack. Uh, we saw that against Derry, obviously, as well on, on Friday night, that they were pushing so many players up that when they were losing possession, they weren't able to get back quick enough. So they're in a difficult enough spot in terms of points-wise. They can't let Derry get that lead and let it build up too much. And the Rovers didn't start last season particularly well mm. in terms of performances but yeah, they but were the, so good they're not and they've been so good to home, Nathan. Like, no they're not that was they conceded 10 goals at home all last season they hadn't lost a game before Friday night in what about 18 months at Tallis Stadium in, in the league so they have been consistently uh, top class at home but there's something just a little bit off but the other thing that they were brilliant at and the mark of all champions is they could always grind out a result Yeah. so they even if they weren't at their best over the last couple of years like how many late goals did they score to win games you think of the game goal from Rory Gaffney against Shells uh, where they're what they're 2-1 down with 5 minutes to go and they managed to win the game 3-2 and that probably wins them the title in the end they're giving themselves too much to do at the moment. And they never, I didn't feel they were really going to come back and get something from that Derry game. They didn't offer a huge amount in the second half. That's a bit harsh. They, 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 they were, I think that's a bit harsh. And in fairness, I think like they were worthy of a point. Uh, I mean, Derry sort of sat in. You and, think I, thought in the, I thought in the first half they, they were the better team, but I thought mm, in the second half Derry deserved to win that game. Yeah. Um, I, I just, just one, I've made the, made the point about like the, the managers in the league and like even Colin Healy. You think of like the career Colin Healy had. He's the Cork manager and he won't be happy with like Nathan mentioned all the, the defending, like in the bad defender or whatever, but the, 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 you've all these really good minds now managing teams where like week to week, the, the fixture list on, on Friday night upcoming, Damien Duff has to, is tasked with Shamrock Rovers coming to Talca. Dundalk go to Derry. So Rory Higgins and Stephen O'Donnell be very good friends, but now they're obviously rivals. And I remember asking one of them, um, do you text each other much anymore? Like, well, it's not about football anyway. Like, so they don't, like, they would have literally been at Dundalk together, probably, like, the best of pals, and now they're rivals, so they don't, they don't talk football anymore, really. Yeah. Um, and, and Dundalk have had two great wins on the bounce. They go to Derry. I can't remember who Pats are playing, uh, Friday, but it's, in a yeah, it's a really big game for Pats, and it's it's a kind of a hard one to call because all of a sudden Pats fans are already giving out that like you know they've had two abject performances. Really, lost to Sligo with 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 eleven v ten for seventy minutes, gave away an awful goal for for the the second. Pats are home to Bows. Pats are home to Bows. So Bows have nine points out of twelve. That's sold out straight away. Derry and Dundalk is sold out. Uh, Rovers and Shells will be sold out. And and like this momentum that the league has, and these really really compelling games week to week, even draw had a punch and above their weight. Mm. I don't know, Nathan. It's I've never experienced anything remotely like this in terms of this sustained buzz, quality, and just so many talking points as well. Yeah, there seems to be not a big gap between an awful lot of the teams. So you have Derry and Rovers out in front, but then behind that, it feels like they can all beat each other yeah. and. Again, that line of you never want to be the one team in crisis. Like Pat suddenly find themselves in that position. They took an almighty hammering against them. Dog suddenly Tim Clancy finds himself under a bit of pressure. But you went at home against Bowles on Friday night and suddenly Bowles good start. People start questioning that. So there's, there's a quality to the football. As you say, the games consistently are sold out. Mm. We need to get to a stage where actually you can get more people into these grounds, uh, so that they're not selling out as quickly so that you can capitalize on the interest levels uh, that are there. But like Friday night at Talca Park now is massive. Rovers like Rovers next two games now are against 
shells and then they play Pats at home on Paddy's Day. Like, these are not easy games. Tough Dublin derbies. They haven't had a Dublin derby so far this season. Going to shells, you know what Duff's going to do. It's going to be tight. It's going to be dour. He's going to make it as difficult as possible. It'll be an absolute bloody nuisance. It's going to be dour. Did, Suddenly, he not, did Duff not say he was going to, they were going to dominate the ball and all it, that? <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's see if they can dominate the ball on Friday walk night. The walk. Be, uh, yeah. in, in, in fairness, uh, they are, they're really well coached, Nathan, in fairness, but, mm. but he's quite pragmatic. Yeah. Well, I, and that's fair. I, I think Vinnie Perth was on yesterday morning making that point. Like Duff's problem is that he might face this season is the expectations are so high from outside of football, almost outside of the League of Ireland on him because of his name. And people will be looking at uh, Shale's results and going, well, why aren't they further up the table if they find themselves sort of in that six, seven spot? But like, that's quality wise, probably where they should be this season. So like his job on Friday night is not to go and play total football against Shamrock Rovers. His job is to get himself a result and pick up a point, even if that's a good result. But the worry for Rovers is that this lead becomes, you know, they can't let it get into double figures at this time of the season. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a neutral, it's brilliant. It's exactly what you want them trying to chase down Derry over the next three or four or five months. Well, Nathan, the first uh, game of the season was the first game of the season, right? Derry didn't have Diallo, didn't have Duffy, didn't have Domigan, didn't, and McElhenney came off the bench. Like, that's an outstanding midfield. Four players who weren't playing, and they still have, like, McJanet coming back. Um, they just, you're just looking like, I, I'm, I'm not sure where they're going to drop points or McGonagall's in form as well. And they really do have squad depth. I think Rory Higgins has signed really well. And I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's going to be tough for overs. Yeah, Diallo looked very good on Friday night in midfield. Like they, they really struggled to cope with him at times. Ollie O'Neill obviously scored the last night. I thought he was quiet in the game on Friday night, but you know, he to do defensive was, uh, work. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. Probably not the side of the game he wants to be really focusing on, but, you know, he looks a good signing as well, bringing him in from Fulham on loan. We saw what he could do with the Irish under 21s, but everyone was expecting Derry to come this season, weren't they? Like this was, this is what we thought would happen. That Derry were going to be a lot stronger. Like Rovers have lost Andy Lyons. Like think of the amount of goals Andy Lyons scored in the first quarter of last season, uh, for Shamrock Rovers. He was, you know, first couple of games maybe took a little while to settle, but, you know, they've lost Lyons. They've lost Mandreu. And have they brought in players who settled that quickly to, yeah. to replace them? Like we're going to try and first Trevor Clark, that was very good. Um, over the last couple of games, it's going to be interesting to see with Johnny Kenny. Like they played Gaffney and Kenny up front together. Mm. There's no doubt of Kenny's finishing ability, but he's probably a little bit different. Uh, a very different player to Roy Gaffney, who when, every time he's on the pitch looks head and shoulders above everybody else in terms of his physicality and how he can just basically run the show up top on his own. Yeah. Uh, Kenny, from what we've seen, wants to play a little bit more on the shoulder so far. So do the two of them play together all the time or is it one or the other? Uh, when they're playing, you know, away from home against Shells on Friday night. Yeah, adds a bit of interest for sure. So Derry Dundalk, Shelburne Rovers on Friday night at Talca Park. You've got Pats Bowes and UCD against Strada, and then the Saturday game it's like Rovers versus Cork City. Nathan, pleasure as always. Thanks for hopping on this morning. Cheers, lads. Great stuff at eight oh three a.m. on uh, this morning's OTBM. Up next, we've got uh, Nora Stapleton and Benny Cullen from Sport Ireland talking female sporting participation among teenagers. We've got plenty more coming up as well, including Jasmine Baba with uh, tactical analysis breakdown of Chelsea Dortmund last night and uh, Arsenal from the weekend gone by as well. We'll give them a little bit of love. Sean O'Brien, the former Irish international rugby star. Uh, and Leinster Lions player, of course, as well, will join us later on in the show uh, too. During the next ad break, you will hear a clip from the latest episode of The Football Pod, where Paddy, James and Tommy discussed Derry's dramatic win over Dublin. The Football Pod, in partnership with AIB, proud, uh, proud sponsors of the Football Hurling and Camogie All-Ireland Club Championships. Check out hashtag the toughest for more. Back in a sec. 
You're listening to OTB AM. Yeah, approaching eight minutes past eight on this Wednesday morning's OTB AM, and it is International Women's Day. I did mention at the top of the show this morning, we wanted to talk female participation in sport, uh, some concerning levels and dropout rates, um, and I guess we want to discuss ways in which we can keep young girls involved in physical activity and sport in Ireland. Uh, especially, so uh, delighted to be joined on the show this morning by Nora Stapleton, the former Irish international rugby player who is now the Women in Sport lead with Sport Ireland, and Benny Cullen, the Director of Research and Innovation at Sport Ireland as well. Good morning to you both. Thanks a million uh, for taking the call from us this morning. Uh, I might start with you, Nora. Um, some of these, some of these figures are, are quite concerning. One of them in front of me: participation plummeting during adolescence. Seven percent of girls aged fourteen to fifteen uh, getting the recommended physical activity levels. It is a bit of a worry, isn't it? It is, um, but I guess that's why you know myself and Benny and others are working hard to try and use the research to um, to work on what we can implement to to change that trend. I think the stats that you read out there are probably from the children's sports participation and physical mm. activity study, and and Benny might mention that you know there's a new version of that coming out shortly where we might see some of those changes. But um, we know that teenage girls participate less in sport than boys. Um, that's reality. It has been for um, a long, long time now. Uh, we know that females across age groups, um, not all age groups, uh, you know, in some, maybe the latter years, uh, more women than men are active, but Benny can speak to that. But um, the work that we're doing and, you know, the reason why I guess I'm in the role and why we have a sport iron policy in women in sport is because we know that interventions are required and um, ways are funding, et cetera, et cetera, that we can try and encourage, that we can motivate and that we can create programs that teenage girls and others want to take part in. Um, and that's today, you know, we might hopefully talk about it. We're launching a new campaign called Her Moves, which we're really excited about and that is targeting teenage girls and those who are important in their lives in a way to try and um, encourage and motivate them to be more active. So, look, hopefully going forward, we might start to change some of these trends. But certainly, yes, they do participate less in boys. And it is an area that we need to focus on. I guess one of the reasons, Nora, for for, uh, dropout rates being so high is, you know, sport maybe being seen as quote-unquote unfeminine or, or uncool for young girls in their adolescent years. Is that something that's changing with the, with the I guess, rise of, of so many female role models in Irish sport? You've got the women's team heading to the World Cup. You've got Katie Taylor, Kelly Harrington, uh, Leona Maguire. It just seems to be heading in the right direction, and surely those role models can only help. The role models are definitely doing their amazing, and we have some you know women's sport and um, particularly at a high performance level you know our female athletes are doing just superbly well and it's great to see um for teenage girls look they're going through so many changes and you know being a teenager today is hard and that's what they're telling us um is it uncool you know it mightn't be so much that it's uncool it's more that they uh look too deeply at their own performance within Mm. the sport or if they don't feel like they fit or if they don't feel like they're good enough to be there then it's easier for them to drop out than to try and stay up with maybe the performance level uh, that's been demanded of them so you know we're looking at competition structures for example that can lead to girls being deselected from teams um, or trying to hit certain markers or certain times and if girls aren't reaching those milestones um, they, they fall away from it you know there seems to be no place for those that just love to run love to swim when they can as opposed to being um, you know the 
demands put on them to train as often as they can or you know the way maybe our team sports are set up you you have to go training twice a week and you play a match the weekend and that's where you play and then if you don't get picked for that where do you go um so these girls are telling us like look we want to be we we love sport um they they really do you know they see the benefits of sports like we we shouldn't be telling them oh you must be you know play sports in order to be healthy because mm. they know all that and um, what we're trying to do now is reframe what sport looks like and uh, we're trying to kind of change those kind of moments of pride um, and take that away you know that it's not all about winning that you can have these other achievements and moments of pride within sport but most importantly we're trying to give the girls a voice in all this uh, so a lot of the research that we've done we've spoken to teenage girls consulted with them uh, so their voice is very much embedded in it and they're telling us they want more adventure they want to try more sports that they would never normally get to try they want to do more stuff outside um, and you know they want to some nearly even mix in their own hobbies and behaviours within that as well so we're encouraged in sports to to bring in music, bring in art drama, whatever it is um, because the girls are saying to us like look we're not just going to leave our other interests behind and just play sports. We want to see that we're able to merge the two together as well. So it's, you know, doing things a little bit differently. Um, but back to the role models, like they are so, so important and they're amazing. But those role models will inspire the next generation of, of elite athletes or those girls who are, you know, striving to be their best. The role models won't have as big an impact on the girls who are falling out of sport because they just don't love it anymore. Um, and those girls, the ones that are inactive are saying, to us I don't really yeah I've heard of Katie Taylor never seen her box Mm. um, which is devastating for us from Sport Ireland but unfortunately there's a whole pile of girls out there that don't relate to our um, high achieving role models and so we need to find other ways to engage them there is probably challenges like for even boys and girls for coaches to recognise the players that are either on the periphery or not getting game time to really maximise their enjoyment and to make them feel that it's worthwhile and to make them um you know, value their own worth because, you know, that's probably, I guess that is a concern where it's sad just to see people fall away that maybe don't realise their potential when there is latent potential there. Yeah, 100%, you're right. And um, coaches play a key role and isn't it so unfair of us to put like all this responsibility on coaches um, I, I've coached and, and I, I know the difficulties that can exist when you're trying to look at one cohort who are really want to, to win the upcoming match and then you're looking at the longer picture of like well you're only 14 if I can get you through these teenage years and, and where you're hitting 18 and everybody's enjoyed it, everybody's improved everybody feels like they they're improving they're learning new skills um, then you've a much greater chance that they will continue to be active in later years as well um, we've created a, a workshop called Coaching Teenage Girls in Sport which is directed at coaches and the whole idea is to help that coach um, construct the environment that's built around their athletes or players to ensure that everyone is kind of getting more from that and they're enjoying it. Um, we talk about menstrual cycle there. We talk about what does fun mean uh, within your training session. And it doesn't need to be, you know, the maybe games that we thought well we only used to do those with the under sixes you know it's not about that but you can bring fun um into 
uh, into your your training session. Um, and then it's the language that you use with the teenage girls is so important as well. So those coaching teenage girls workshops have really taken off. We've run over 100 of them um, this year already. Uh, the local sports partnerships and the national governing bodies of sports would run those for their sports or for the community. And we're seeing over a thousand coaches already go through that. And even so much so, uh, Benny's unit and actually evaluated the course with Camogie, the Camogie Association and they went and they ta- spoke to the coaches when they went back to the clubs to find out well what changes are you making within your Camogie club and it was just amazing to hear the stories that were coming back mm. where they included the girls more in this, you know what they should be training on or what the session should look like where they included the girls and like look we want to do trips away what does that look like bring them to Camogie matches bring them to to other things where it's just about giving the girls a chance to, to be together and to bond as a team so that there's loads in this um, and the coaches do have a huge part the Her Moves campaign which we're releasing um, is targeting teenage girls but I also said it was targeting that, that cohort around teenage girls who are important and coaches are a big factor of that so we see it as um, with this campaign how can we give coaches more tips and guidelines and just more information as to how they can retain those girls within their training group uh, and Benny, as Nora says, the, the numbers are thankfully starting to head in the right direction in terms of uh, young girls' participation in sport in this country. Uh, one thing that struck me was the, was the difference in, in the urban and, and rural divide, that how you know, it might be easier for, for a young girl to stay involved with sport in a, in a rural community, maybe because they stick to, to a certain limited number of, of the traditional sports as such. So that's quite a fascinating aspect to, to all this as well. Um. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and good morning, guys. Good to be here with you this morning. Um, the yeah, what we see really in the data is you know unique experiences for every individual girl, and then them kind of yeah them being grouped into kind of cohorts of the of the population across both urban and rural divide, but also socioeconomic status and ethnic background and and things like that. Um, so the experience is different for very different groups of girls. A, a piece of work we did with. Nora in the, the teenage girls research was to build personas the um, of different types of girls who are living in different areas and what their experience is um, so that we could really try and um, identify with what those girls are going through and the opportunities that are available to them and the challenges that they have and so you're dead right you know depending on the community they're in and the background that they're from um, yeah the opportunities that are available to them are, are very different. One of the heartening things we start to see coming out of the data is you know, small shifts in behaviour, which are, tend to be going in the right direction, albeit, especially for teenage girls, they're starting from quite a low bar. Um, but we start to see some structural shifts, which are really interesting. So girls are reporting um, a broader diversity of sporting opportunity, which we know is one of the things that they're feeding back to us in the focus groups, you know, the, that they want, they want multiple sports that they can try through those teenage years, experiment with, get different experiences. And we'd often use the, the term, you know, there's a sport for everyone out there, you know, the, um, so if the first one isn't for you, you know, don't give up, keep going. And it's up to society, it's up to Sport Ireland, national governing bodies, coaches, to ensure that, that, that those girls are being handed on, you know, the, that they're getting that broad diversity of experience. So we start to see that coming out through the data. So that's quite, that's quite heartening. It's interesting as well, Benny, like I, I even noticed on, on Nora's uh, Twitter, I think she had shared one of the, one of the sports, Socia Ball. So this is um, a, a lovely idea to, to kind of re-engage young girls in, in, in a sport like basketball, but it's, 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 it's less competitive and it's a model, I think, that, that would keep young girls involved. So the focus being on fun, which sounds like an obvious thing to say and, 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 a, and a clear, uh, obvious way to keep young girls involved. But, but implementing methods to keep 
young girls involved in, in, in big sports and the main sports in this country, but making it more fun is, is probably one of the more obvious solutions here. Yeah, I think so. And Johnny was touching on it there earlier on. I think a lot of the challenges that teenage girls are facing, teenage boys are you know, facing some of them as well. But that space of, of social participation is quite interesting. And we see, you know, we see that macro scale in the data. The, um, we've pretty much parity of participation in primary school, not a million miles off it. And then in the teenage years, the girls really start to drop out much earlier than the boys. The boys do drop out later on. Um, so we're in here scratching our heads, you know, in terms of policy and strategy mm-hmm. that could maybe help to address that. And I think this idea of social participation is a big, big driver, especially in teenage girls. And I think some of the models that we tend to come at with sport, uh, some of the language we've started to to use here in the office is we have this competition by default model of sport. As kids transition from primary school to secondary school, if you're going to play one of the big sports, the default is you're playing to compete. Uh, And what we notice when we do these focus groups and um, individual interviews with teenagers we see is, you know, there there are less and less of them interested in that competition by default in that transitionary period. The larger due to the fact that they all mature at different levels, you know, the um, and so having competition as an option. So opt into competition if you want to compete, you compete. But having a recreational option, almost a recreation by default, so you keep everybody involved, you know, and that that serves both the participation agenda. It should help to address this teenage dropout that we see. Um, it's not a silver bullet, but I think it could be a component. But as well, it should help the, the, the pathway issues that we see in Irish sport and the high performance end, because the more people you can keep involved, the, um, the more chance you have of identifying talent, maybe just because people happen to mature a little bit later, go through puberty a bit later. You know, maybe it's 15, 16, 17 by the time they really start to gain the work ethic, the, um, the physical and psychological competencies to be able to perform. And so if it's competition by default at 12, 13, 14, Maybe you lose them there, you know. So starting to see sports like basketball, and there are others, um, GAA and soccer, who are building these kind of recreational models of sport that run in parallel to the competitive element. And Nora mentioned the work we did with uh, Camogie on the, the coaching workshop. And one really big thing that came out of the Camogie work was that the girls who were playing Camogie, they loved competing. That was a big, big motivation for them. So there are a heap of teenage girls out there who really want to compete so it's not a question of, you know, oh, we don't need the competition version. We just need the recreational version. It's more of it's, it's the idea is to try and have these dual pathways that work alongside each other so that those who want to compete can get in there, take part. And those who want to play for recreation don't feel ostracized. You know, they're part of the same family. They're part of the of the same community. I, I guess as well, Benny, they, you know, a lot of um, kids at that age are going to be developing addiction to their to their phone anyway, for one thing. And this is, you know, how much is on the schools then to say, well, we really have to provide a few hours a week here to students to do physical exercise as much as anything, get away from their phone, get outside, do, do something. Or, you know, is, is that asking too much of the schools? Um, yeah, like we, we do a good bit of work with the Department of Education. We do a good bit of work with active school flags. Uh, schools are chock-a-block busy, but they play their role. So, you know, and what, the, the approach we tend to take at it, at it is, you know, what we call a systems approach or a whole society approach, where we go, okay, everybody's got a role to play here, the, um, to try and ensure the kids stay active, the, um, and at, from our end, that they start to, you know, they start and maintain sports participation, especially teenage girls. Um, so you've got, you know, community sport, the, uh, you've got school sport, extra, extracurricular sport in school, you've got PE, the, um, the kind of curriculum element of being physically active, You've got elements of active travel and infrastructure that's there. 
but also you know local authorities and um, play a huge role in this and we're working with them to, to develop local sports plans to improve the sporting infrastructure that's available i was only we were having a good chat earlier on the um with, with another colleague um like back in the day i know i grew up in the 80s we used to play curbs and heads and volleys with mm-hmm. you know jumpers out in the park um I think a child, especially a teenager's expectation of what sporting infrastructure should be and what the experience should be maybe means that, you know, that idea of doing curbs and playing around jumpers just doesn't meet their expectation of what society should look like nowadays. The, um, and so uh, we're having great conversations with some of the local authorities about, you know, building small scale sporting infrastructure, get the kids back out in the parks, but they won't play the way we used to play in the 80s. So it's trying to update the infrastructure in that space. So it's a, to, to answer your question there, Johnny, you know, you can't lump it all on the schools. It's everybody's got to play their part here. The, I mean, it's trying to coordinate that action um, um, to, to address especially this dropout of, of teenage girls. Just to, 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 to kind of, you know, comment on some of the work that, that Nora's doing, this teenage girl space is critical in terms of national sports policy. The, um, so what we see is, um, you know, good parity of participation in primary school. We're not, we're not far off that. The, um, 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 and then we get this big drop-off in the teenage years, especially amongst girls. The, um, and it takes, you know, two or three decades for that gap to catch back up again the for women when they get a little bit older start participating in sport physical activity to the same rate as men um, so if we can reduce that gap in the teenage years the um, national sports policy has this ambition of parity of participation across both genders uh, that that teenage gap is critical to achieving that the um, so the kind of work that Nora is doing with the national governing bodies of sport some of the initiatives that you mentioned there shane um that's a real critical focus for, for national sports uh, policy. Uh, final word to you, Nora. And, and look, I, I know I'm kind of lumping the phrase teenage girls out there. There are s- girls who are at different levels of engagement. You know, some could be uh, engaged in sport a little bit and, and maybe fell away from it. Some might be completely disinterested completely. So I just want to make that point as well that not every teenage girl is in the same boat here. Um, no. But but that point that Benny makes as well about about having the infrastructure and just awareness for young girls as well that there are options for different sports out there and that they're not all competitive is so important as well yeah definitely and um and that's what this new campaign is about her move so anybody listening i encourage you to pick up your phone and have a look on instagram twitter facebook um and tiktok it'll be the first time that sport ireland uh will be on tiktok and her moves is the channel that we'll be using there because look let's face it that's where the girls are and we want to speak to them Um, the campaign is about introducing new activities new opportunities and really opening their eyes to what's there away from maybe some of the the sports that they would normally be introduced to in school or in the community. Um, you mentioned basketball and sociable, and they, that's when they when Basketball Ireland first set up that it was targeting adults and encouraging adults to get back and just play basketball. I've been to a few sessions myself. It's really good fun because what I want to do, I just want to go. I want to play basketball. I want to feel like I've I've you know maybe got a bit of a fitness hit, um, and I'm. Not probably not scoring some hoops, but um, I'm certainly trying. But they're now using that uh, for the teenage age bracket, so they're bringing that in as one of their her moves programs. And um, we've a couple of other sports that are kind of the early adopters to this as well. So uh, you'll see table tennis. They're doing ping pong art. So that's where I mentioned this, you know, merging of sport and, and other activities. Um, Tennis Ireland are doing serve swap. So they're bringing in a kind of sustainability element to what they're doing, just getting girls playing tennis, but they're also going to teach them to upcycle their clothes, etc. Um, and we, we've got loads more and there's lots of NGBs as well that will come on board. Really, it's about starting it. And, and I might just mention one of the local sports partnerships in Sligo 
So they're doing this amazing program where it's a surfing program, uh, but it's actually also teaching the girls to um, teach others. Uh, uh, like they're doing a kind of inclusive workshop where the girls will then teach other kids how to surf. Um, they'll also do beach cleanups um, and things like that. So it's really, you know, these programs are bringing much more to the program than just sport. Um, and eventually, as we build our website, the hermoves.ie website, we'll have all these opportunities on there. So a girl can go on, or her parent, um, our guardian, our teacher, our coach can go onto the website and see some of these other opportunities that exist. And we know that there won't be a program for every single girl in Ireland. It's more about inspiring and encouraging them to try some of these other sports that they might not have uh, thought to try before. Um, so we're really excited about it. And, you know, it's great to be able to share today and to talk just about this, you know, this whole area of teenage girls dropout. And that, it, as Benny said, it is a systems wide approach. Everybody's responsible. Um, and certainly that's what we're trying to do here in Sport Ireland to, to bring everyone on board through a campaign such as Her Moves. Absolutely. Hermoves.ie, as Nora said, and uh, International Women's Day. What better day to, to go and check it out? Nora, Benny, thanks a million for your time this morning. Thanks so much. It's been great. Brilliant stuff there. That is Nora Stapleton, the former Irish international rugby player, who is now the Women in Sport lead with Sport Ireland, and Benny Cullen, the Director of Research and Innovation at Sport Ireland at 8.28am on this Wednesday morning's OTBM. I keep forgetting the day. We've got loads of comments coming in on YouTube. Brian says, Johnny is right. Watts is very suspect defensively for overs. They're far too open when the opposition counter. He's not a defensive player, Dylan. He was caught out of... Uh, the The first goal was vital on Friday in that um, Trevor Clark missed the ball then and then when Doherty goes through, Watts just doesn't... He's not quick. He doesn't have the pace to yeah. deal with him. But he's not... That's not Dylan's game, to be fair. I thought he played well in general. I think he's grown into the season. But uh, Gary O'Neill is... They have so many flashy players in midfield. They need a... They need a hold of midfielder to, yeah. to, to, yeah, to help the others. Bobby Dwyer, Liverpool beat Man United 5-0 last season and 7-0 this season. United are United. I don't think he appreciated the Spurs are Spurs comment earlier this morning <laughs> as, a, as a good Tottenham fan is Bob. Um, like in the middle of all this, Liverpool concede five goals against Real Madrid at home after being 2-0 up and then have five games in the league where they don't concede Football's at Football's mad, isn't it? It's just, you can't, I don't know, there's nothing make, made any sense about that game on, on Sunday, but there you go. You just can't predict any mm. of this. Uh, joining us to uh, to maybe comb through some of the football and try to make sense of it all uh, uh, back on the show. A show regular now, I think we can call her, Jasmine Baba, football analyst. Uh, good morning, Jasmine. How are things? Yeah, all right. A little bit deflated after last, ma- last night's match, but what can you do? Yeah, I know you're, uh, you follow Borussia Dortmund very closely, so uh, disappointing one for you. Uh, the atmosphere looked great in Stamford Bridge. Um, Chelsea 2, Dortmund 0. We might come through some of the some of the action. Um I guess Adiemi being out and other players being out for Dortmund caught up with them last night and they didn't have that same pace on the counter that they that they did over in Germany. Yeah, I think that was the main issue with Dortmund last night and I think it was further deflated with that early Julian Brandt injury who has been on top of his game recently, especially he's been the fastest he's ever been. He's been the most direct he's ever been. He has such a clinical, talented finish, can create something out of nothing in those kind of big games as well. For him to get injured so early really knocked the stride out of Dortmund and to be left without any of those types of players like we've seen Yusuf Makoku, Karim Adeyemi, who obviously scored Mm -hmm. in the first leg from that quick attack, they were left without something that they haven't had for like 
quite a while. They've been better with more possession Ed and Terzic's team, but they still rely sometimes on those quick quick breaks. And basically Chelsea became that more more of that team. And Dortmund didn't really know how to cover that. They were quite surprised by how quick Chelsea were, um, the way that they won second balls and could quickly progress, kind of like an onslaught at times in that first half. And ultimately, it got the best of Borussia Dortmund. The, the markets beforehand, Jasmine, were so heavy on a Chelsea victory. Now, why is that? What's comparable between the two leagues here? I'm not sure if that would have been correct. I mean, obviously... It was correct on the night Chelsea did win, but I think it's just more of uh, the experience, the kind of quality of players, the injuries Dortmund had um, in terms of squad depth after that first kind of layer of squad of Borussia Dortmund. You don't have the same kind of quality that Chelsea obviously does. And someone more experienced in the Champions League like Chelsea um, I think the home advantage, it's going to pile up for those markets to be more Chelsea-centred more than Dortmund-centred. And ultimately, it was right. I don't think Chelsea were the best team in the world. I still don't like how they play in the league. Um, how do you mean by that? Four th- <laughs> their 3-4-3 three, three is still a lot like Tuchel's 3-4-3. Three, three. And I think especially bigger teams like Chelsea like Liverpool, um, in bigger games where it comes to the moment of death, the moment of truth, players can rely on themselves more and it doesn't really matter so much about the tactics that maybe the coach gives them. They will get themselves up for those bigger matches and then lose themselves in you know, the matches against Brighton, Southampton, etc. So... Um, those are probably a few of the reasons why Chelsea did so well and were predicted to go through and to win. Yeah, it was funny on the, the TV last night, Owen Hargreaves after the match just saying Dortmund not there in the big moments. Like, I guess as a former Bayern Munich player, he was he was throwing some shots out there as well just to just to get the dig in. That press that you mentioned, Jasmine, um, I mean, it was, it, it was a serious flurry of pressing from Chelsea at times and, and it clearly paid off. Kai Havertz's role in all this was crucial. Yep. Um, I think I can see why there's always criticism about Kai Havertz, especially in England, but he is still and was one of the best players and one of the best young players in the German league and has so much talent, how so much um, like technical ability. I don't think people give him enough credit at times. He was built to be in that kind of pressing quick attack team and also just knows how to read the man, knows how to run at the man. And in a proper team, he can completely um, be enabled and can flourish. And it's finding that right role for him and letting him progress. How old is he? He's still 22. He moved Mm. so young from the leagues. And, And, you know, he's just got so much ability that he can. And obviously he knows the German team. So, I always like playing players from a team who knows the other team well, a bit like when Hummels played against um, Man City to face Haaland. People that they were experienced with, I always like that. And Kai Havertz also showed that experience of what Dortmund's um, 
weaknesses could be and taking advantage of that. So, yeah, I think people don't give him enough credit. Last night, he was by far. Oh, we've got Jasmine lost there just for a second. Um, it was interesting, Johnny, the whole that whole pressing because it, it clearly works. I mean, the discussion has been similar around Manchester United and Vodvekhorst and whether or not that's working. But with Chelsea last night, Potter had to get it right. It felt like the biggest game of the season for them. You could yeah. say that at this stage of the season, every game is the biggest game. Well, of the season, well, they, they they're probably out of the. You know, they may they may make Europe, but like realistically, this is where they're at. And uh, yeah, they they got it right. I mean, Dortmund Dortmund missed some very good chances as well. You got to say, like Dortmund, yeah. you know, you, you're riding your luck a little bit at times. Get a second penalty. This. Again, Havertz didn't know that there was encroaching behind him, so you know that's you get that bit of luck. Um, but the press, I did find in transition, Chelsea have quick players. Like so, if you if you if you play high up and you press and you win the ball back, Dortmund did look vulnerable, as Jasmine says. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a really tactically fascinating game. It's interesting you makes that point about knowing the opposition as well. I I thought that 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 was definitely a factor. Yeah, I, like when you have those players like Chilwell and Rhys James attacking mm. from the back. Chilwell especially was brilliant last night. That that's an aspect to it as well. That yeah, that really was important for Chelsea. Yeah, and I think you know he he had a bit of a bit of a nastiness about him as well to kind of get the job done at the end. Rhys James is such an outstanding footballer, and you know the stat Nathan had about the two of them playing together was quite staggering actually. Um, and you do think sort of Chelsea can kick on a bit from here now. We have you back, Jasmine. We were just discussing um, the impact of Ben Chilwell last night, and I know that's something that you've touched on as well in your notes, Dortmund's deep defence and, and Chilwell getting forward just added an extra threat that we haven't massively seen from Chelsea yet this season they of course don't have the the number 10 in the box maybe that they would like to have to finish off a lot of these crosses but uh, Chilwell's impact was important Yeah I think again it's that kind of blistering pace that you need from the kind of tactics Chelsea play at the moment Dortmund could not cover him at all and basically the further Dortmund would go back um, they would have to make these terrible decisions that they get pushed into do you follow someone like Chilwell in the open space behind him or do you go into the space and let Chilwell run at you which you don't really want and um, those are the kind of situations that any team can accidentally get into um, if the opposition can play it right and that's something Chilwell offers Chelsea um, which they haven't had for so much for some amount of time and something like that especially again with his pace and directness can be a game changer to Chelsea's um, tactics I did want to touch on Arsenal as well Jasmine while we have you and probably a happier topic for you to discuss than Dortmund um, <laughs> yes. I mean just when you think they're going to drop points they're 2-0 down to Bournemouth you're like this is this is the turning point in the season they pulled it out of the bag and that goal from, from Reese Nelson could be crucial come the end of the season in this title race um, tactically what are Arsenal doing differently this season if anything um, it's funny that you should say that they haven't really changed much under Arteta. Um, so when Arteta came in, he floated around with a 4-2-3-1 like we see many teams do. And especially in the FA Cup and a big, against bigger teams, which won him the FA Cup in his first season, um, he would float more with a 3-4-3, um, a defensive back 3-5. Um, he's moved completely away from that back 3-5 with the more counter-attacking aspect and has gone into the more old Arsenal possessional base, the mostly possessional base. Um, but what's different compared to the rest of the league is that they build up further into the opposition box in a 2-3-5 and they're the only real 
team to do and as the extent Arteta does. So their build-up shape from the back line is a two plus three with either inverted fullbacks or one of the double pivot to the left-hand side. Um, it's a very old Pep Guardiola kind of style of play, um, which he's dropped in the last few years. And um, it's high man-to-man marking. So it's easier to circulate the ball like Arsenal tend to do. But the real difference this season is the kind of quality that they've invested in and the kind of pay of of the quality they've invested a little bit earlier. So someone like Martin Erdegaard, we know is fantastic. We know is a world-class player. Getting him was a massive shout. And now we've got someone who fits those kind of inverted fullback roles. So Ben White can obviously play right back and come more inside because he's a centre-back too. Zinchenko has been such a um, vital player to bring in, someone with title experience, someone who can play that role, who has played that role under both Arteta and Pep, and also um, someone who was a centre midfielder who can take on the roles of being more attacking while being in the fullback area. So, um, you got to say, Jasmine, as well, the city yeah. players that sorry, the city players that Arsenal acquired, it's yeah. almost like as much as uh, you know Pep knows Arteta well, he's like I've so much uh, belief in this guy going forward as a coach. Arsenal mm-hmm. eight title contenders here, so it would be kind of funny if it bit him in the ass. Yes, it would be. Because Zinchenko is such a good player. He's such a good player. He's so good, honestly. But there's always the argument that people never understand why Pep Guardiola lets go of players. And I think Mm. the same will be made of Jao Cancelo going to Bayern Munich. Um, There's always been an argument with which players Pep Guardiola lets go. And both Alexander Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus um, at Arsenal... I think could be the t- turning point in the amount of quality and is the turning point compared to prior years of Arsenal, um, especially how he knows Arteta's philosophy. Um, so yeah, it might actually bite him in the arse and as an Arsenal fan, I hope it does. Gives you a chance on counter-attacks as well, Jasmine, These this transition to the 2-3-5. The you don't hear... Two, three, five, two off. Like you? a formation in one of those mad games in the Mega Drive, where like you know you, you, you just play like the bottom one on that list of twenty formations is two, three, five. <laughs> yeah. You tried to beat your brother three nil down with yeah. two minutes left. Pick the most metal one you can, but it, it, it seems to work, Jasmine. <laughs> yes, um, I think it's not the most uncommon thing um, when people uh, when teams change their kind of formations into these kind of patterns we see different ones so Dortmund for instance were a 3-1-5-1 last night whenever they go closer to the box Mm. Um, so these build-up shapes aren't um, uncommon but uh, the way Arsenal and Arteta are using it in the league is quite different it's always this kind of 2-3-5 shape and the perfect example of this and how clear you can see it is in the first goal um, in the 3-1 against Tottenham this season. So um, the Thomas Party stri- strike outside of the box, you can see the three clear lines of two, three and the five, most of them in the box. I think the two wide players just on the outside. So, yeah, it can be quite demanding on the opposition team to defend because it's just so many players, especially in the box. Sometimes this can go wrong. And I think we have seen it go wrong for Arsenal, especially when they have to rely someone on Nketiah, who 
can't hold up the play or link up play as well as Gabriel Jesus or like even with Martinelli and Trossard are doing it a little bit better mm. than Nketiah and Martinelli were. So um, yeah, it, it can be quite devastating for opposition teams, but it can be defended against as well. Such an important period for Arsenal coming up. They've got Sporting Lisbon tomorrow night in the uh, Europa League round of 16 first leg, the 5.45 kickoff. Uh, and the second leg, of course, next week, Fulham away and Palace at home are their two games this Sunday and the following Sunday before the international break. Uh, Jasmine, great stuff as per usual. We'll check in again very soon, no doubt. Thanks a million. Thank you. Great stuff, Jasmine Baba there, the football analyst. And now it is time at 8.43am on this Wednesday's OTBAM for John Duggan's Virtual Insanity. You have entered Power Drive. Oh, wow! Oh, I'll never get sick of it. No, Johnny. no, I'll never no. Get sick no. Of it. John uh, Duggan, good morning. Shane and Johnny, the only sport where you can actually tip winners or tip uh, contenders at a price of 200, 250 to 1 is golf. So Kurt Kitayama won the Arnold Palmer invitation last week. He was 200 to 1. Uh, one of our tips, Davis Riley, was placed at 250 to 1 for half a place. He was tied 8th. Mm. So we washed our face last week because the rest of them didn't do so well. So it's the only one of the only sports where a 50 to 1 shot has just a great chance just as much as whereas you in a horse race it's a it's a very rare thing or in a football event or the Leicesters of the world they're complete freaks. Mickey in my WhatsApp group the other day he just texts in this bookmaker is offering 12 places on the golf why won't you leave me alone golf betting? So it just always <laughs> pulls you back. There's well that's it. Lore. And one of the things about that is that they'll be offering skinnier odds and there'll yeah. be other bookmakers offering only five places but much better odds. So you just got to weigh up what you want to do. I generally go in the middle. Yeah, so do you like to back, uh, say, a golfer that you think like um, he's just very, very solid, like he's going to give me a consistent chance of at least finishing place or do you want to go for the long shot at 100 that might blow hot and cold? Well, the thing about it is uh, with the virtual money, uh, I, like for example, I picked six golfers this week on the podcast. I'm going to give you two now. So I'm trying to get it. It's like a bit like what's a, one of those Bruce Forsyth games, top, middle, bottom. Mm. Um, so one from the top, uh, you know, one from the middle, one from the bottom. Uh, just to try and uh, count down, is it? And, and then you're sliding. <laughs> Maybe. Trying thinking of Carl Vorman here, yeah. Uh, and then you're sliding down in your stakes. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes you might feel that a 50 to 1 shot has a better chance than a 10 to 1 shot. So it just depends. I think uh, the most important thing about all these things is outcome. What's the outcome going to be? Mm. What do we think the outcome is? And actually forget about the odds. Mm. But then again, if you're looking at value, would you be back in Galapante Champs at 6 to 4 in a Gold Cup? Probably not. Would yeah. you back him at 4 to 1? Yeah, you would. Yeah. So you do look, have to look at the prices as well. Uh, would I be back at Rory or Scotty Scheffler or John Ram this week? Probably not. Um, so I'm going to give you the headline tip in the second one and then the, the rest of them if you want to listen folks you can on the podcast network it's already up on wherever you get your pods or on the GoLad network for Off the Ball or on Spotify uh, so the headline pick is somebody that I know people give out to me for p- tipping him but he's one of the best golfers in the world and it's only going to get better and better for Patrick Cantlay who's 16 to 1 uh, for 6 each way man, man well that's it like, an, like Patrick Cantlay in his last two events has been uh, he was what last week he was um tied for fourth at the Arnold Palmer Invitational and the tournament before that he was third. So if you're looking at 16 to 1 each way, you're looking at a profit. It's a bit like Rory in the majors last year. Didn't win any of them, but you would have made money at a back at Rory each way in majors. Patrick Cantlay playing very well at the moment. 
no real weaknesses to his game. Hits the ball very well off the tee. Uh, is a good man of finding the right spots. Is a good putter. Has not had the best record at Sawgrass in the Players' Championship, which starts tomorrow at 10 to 12 hours' time. But uh, last year, the weather was freakish. Uh, I wouldn't be too worried about that. I think this tournament is all about players who are in form. And Patrick Cantlay, who was tied seventh at Sawgrass through 54 holes in 2017, and tied eighth with one round to go in 2018, does have course form just a little bit behind in his career at 16 to 1. He's the headline pick each way, six each way. The other one is Jason Day. I think if there are two Renaissance players this year in golf, there's Ricky Fowler and Jason Day. Jason Day is 28 to 1, hasn't won in five years, but he's won this tournament before. Uh, he's uh, been in the top 10 in his last four events. He's really doing well on all the stats, sixth in strokes gained in total this year. He was once number one in the world. He was once a PGA champion. He had real issues with his back. His mother passed away and then he was changing the swing. He went down to his low 175, but he's back now on the right right track. Now he's back to 43rd in the world. And with that really, really good form, with the major pedigree, I think a 28 to 1 Jason Day is definitely worth watching as well at the Players' Championship. You've got Rory in it, you've got Shane, you've got Seamus Power, and four really good days of golf to look forward to. The other four golfers are all on the Podcast Network. Bonus content, folks, for Virtual Insanity. Hashtag bonus. Stay with us, John, but that is this week's Virtual Insanity. Usually there is a sting, but I mean, we can just we can just sing it ourselves, maybe. But, yeah, Give you it have it all, entered yeah. power drive. Not bad, not it's bad. Not, oh wow, <laughs> that's not bad. <laughs> Better yeah. again. We should just do that from now on. me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there you go, uh, John. Before you leave, I did want to touch on this story. It's in the in the papers. It's in the back of the Irish Independent there as well. Rory McIlroy commenting on the live tour in seemingly positive terms, um, admitting that the emergence of the live golf series has forced change in the, quote, antiquated existing system and drive the PGA Tour into the 21st century. Does he have a point? Like, I guess there are some aspects of... It's all the about, like, there's more money now for PGA Tour players yeah. and the elite are going to do better because of the threat of Lilf golf money. So that has immediately created an urgency within the PGA Tour to shore up the players that could possibly leave and really fracture golf and really... Uh, at the moment, golf... It's very sad this week that Cameron Smith's not playing, in a way. Yeah. Like, he's a defending champion. He's a, a likeable fella. He's got a really interesting game, really good short game, really good, like, creative player around the greens. He's an open champion. And it is a shame that he's not playing. Uh, do I blame the PJ Tour? No, because he defected to this uh, live golf, which to me is just a sports-washing um, entity for the Saudis. Uh, it's not about making money. It's uh, it's not about competition. They say it's growing the game. It's not growing the game. Uh, the format is really, really boring. Nobody's interested in it. And people just took the cash. And that was their absolute right as sole traders and uh, sole contractors. Mm. But uh, the PJ Tour are now shoring up. They don't want John Ram to leave. They don't want Patrick Cantlay. They don't want Scotty Shepherd. They don't want Rory to leave. Or Rory obviously won't leave because he's been a leader in all of this. But, yeah. Um, it's a shame that Cameron Smith isn't playing this week, but uh, Liv has been better because the PJ Tour have had to get real very, very quickly because you're not going to give extra money if there's no competition. Now there suddenly is competition uh, with Greg Norman and uh, the unlimited uh, spigot of Saudi money. And, but then again, they could turn that off in a couple of years and where would it be mm, then? Yeah. Uh, and so what the plan is, uh, Rory is talking about it on Sky, they're going to try and make a world tour now. They're going to try and make some of these events in the PGA Tour that are lead events over to Europe as well. I know they've kind of done it in recent years, the Scottish Open. Uh, so I think you're going to have a world tour in the next four to five years. But can they stop the staunch, the bleeding of players to live? 
is the interesting thing. And as Rory says as well, I guess the PGA Tour are competing with the likes of TikTok and Instagram, which is another aspect. Uh, one of the comments in here as well, I just wanted to touch on with you, John, as well. Uh, well, Chris says, Shane probably half volleys his penalties. Chris, if I could get away with that, I would. John, who I'm putting you on the spot here. Who's your favourite penalty taker of all time? Kind of cropped up with Ivan Tony at the weekend. Ruud van Nistelrooy is my number one. Cantona was well up there. Cantona, yeah. Great penalty taker. In terms of quality. Uh, like, there are plenty that you would trust with your, with your life. Letitia as well, yeah. Well, Do we have to mention him? Um, yeah, I think Eric Hansen was the first person that came to my head. Right. I remember those. Was it the 1994 FA Cup final? I think he might have got two. God, he rarely missed. Like, he really rarely missed. And it was the aura, wasn't it? Put yeah, keepers it, off straight I think away. He, I think he used to kind of give the keeper, get the keeper's eyes and kind of... Like Tony. He was just, he was really, really calm. I've gotten a lot of slagging for saying I think Cantona was definitely overrated, I think, because yeah. at the time the Premier League wasn't... I don't think Cantona was fit enough. To be the player that he... Could yeah, have been, yeah. yeah. I don't well, aerobically fit. Yeah, I don't think Cantona was a fit enough player, especially mm. when he came back. Uh, he, and also, Cantona was wild. He was an actor masquerading as a footballer as well. But he was wild. Like, Cantona was a wild mm. player. That's why we, that's why he was a him. wild player in France mm. before he even went to England. He was wild at Leeds, that's like, why Wilkinson yeah. let him go. Yeah, for 1.1 million or whatever it was. Look, some of the stories you read about Cantona in mm. France were, were, were mad. And it's very sad that Cantona didn't get to play in 98 of the World Cup mm. and, and because he was such a mercurial talent. But his best football he ever played was at Manchester United. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he was an unbelievable penalty taker. Yeah, 100%. Let us know in the comments, who is your favourite penalty taker? Or if, if, if you had a penalty to save your life, who's stepping up from 12 yards? I mean, that's a, that's a nerve-wracking a bit penalty. of encroaching. <laughs> yeah, give yourself a second chance. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, not easy. John, great stuff as always. Mind yourselves. Pleasure. Thanks a million. Uh, that is John Duggan. Virtual Insanity, as John said. You can find it in all the usual places for all the bonus content. Hashtag bonus. Up next, Derek McNamara's rugby stats breakdown ahead of the Scotland game. We'll continue and uh, get excited for the build-up to that Six Nations game this weekend. First, though, Dublin's Dean Rock talking with our own Ashling O'Reilly yesterday. Yeah, look, you're always evolving. You're evolving game by game, not not even year by year. But I suppose how the game has gone now, it's it can be quite frustrating for maybe inside forwards and stuff like that with so many teams back. So you're trying to to, to get get your ball players on the ball as much as possible. But it is difficult. The game is now more so like basketball with 15 behind the ball, and 15 attacking, 15 defending. So it's uh, it's challenging. And look, you're, you're trying to break that mold and, and come up with ways to play a bit more attacking football and, and, and not play sort of mundane mm-hmm. boring football at times Like, but it, it's a challenge and it's something that we're um, aspiring to, to, to do at the moment and working on the training ground so um, we'll see, see what happens come summer Yeah, 8.52am on this Wednesday morning's O2BAM and that was Dean Rock chatting with our own Ashling O'Reilly Derek McNamara from reactrobby.com is back with us Derek, good morning, how are things? Yeah, good. Be honest, be honest, Derek. Come on, tell us. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I had one of those nights that you have when, uh, maybe once or twice a year, where all three of the kids woke uh, at different times throughout the entire night. So you're watching the clock go 12, and then you're waking up, and it's like like 1, and then it's 3, and then it's 5. So (laughs) basically, I I apologise in advance, but uh, I hope you give me some leeway if I'm not as coherent as I normally am. Bad parenting, if you ask me. (laughs) Myself and Johnny are, as as far as we know, childless, so I mean, that's... that's, uh, Okay, so you're yet to to experience the pain. Yeah. (laughs) Well, a lot of people relate to... I could not sleep last night.
night for love and money. I was wrecked tired and I must have woken up 50 times worried about coming in this morning. Worrying you know, about waking up? Yeah, waking up and just knowing, like, knowing the dread when the alarm goes yeah. off at it's like not nice, 6.20. Is it? No, it's not because I've been away in England for two nights, including the Cheltenham preview night. Your sleep is kind of disorientated. Early flight and then I'm so tired here. I can't sleep. So it's a totally different... <laughs> yeah. Well, you're dealing with stats all the time, Derek, too, yeah. which doesn't make it easier because you have to... I mean, you have to concentrate by the whole nature of the whole thing. Well, I, I tried explaining that there was no um, ice on the car. I was like, there's no sand in the... And I was like, oh, no, that's not a good start to my day. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, let's just get through 25 minutes. I can give it, I can give it my best for, for 25 minutes. Will you minutes, get a nap so. later in the day now? Let's let's not get into that. (laughs) (laughs) Three kids is not easy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, We'll get into the first slide, Derek, because Ireland Scotland. We might as well build build up to these games. So the the three games this weekend: Italy, Wales, Saturday, two fifteen; England, France is four forty-five on Saturday, and then the big one: Scotland, Ireland, Murrayfield, Sunday at uh, three o'clock. So the first stats here: we have uh, stats comparing Scotland and Ireland essentially in some different aspects of the game. Yeah, I guess we're, we're, what we're trying to do is we're trying to boil the game down again into kind of easy to understand analysis or things that people can look out for during the game. So we have work rate, for instance. So the, what, for people that can't see this at home, um, we've basically breaking, broken down each team. You know, we've got three games of analysis now. We've actually got a, an enormous amount of data now that we can actually kind of lean on and actually start to kind of look at this information and say, OK, well, you know, what can we look out for in in the game against Scotland? So... Ireland are number one when it comes to work rate. Scotland are number five. Um, <clears throat> tries against Ireland are number one. Scotland number three. Um, and then cards, things like, you know, cards, for instance, something to look out for. Ireland are at the top. We I don't think we've actually got a card yet, but Scotland are down at number five in the, the 16th tournament. Um, so what we're just trying to show here is, is that there's a bunch of different um, analysis aspects or different... Um, parts of the game that we can try and show that there's significant difference between one team and another. This is very interesting, the work rate by half. Yeah. Uh, so... That's not by half. It's not... It's not. It's it's basically a ranking, so... So explain for the for the people <coughs> that are looking at that, that uh, latest graphic up on screen. What what does this... So, oh, so... Sorry, yeah, we were going on... First half and second half, yeah. Yeah, sorry, so yeah. sorry. If we just go back to the previous slide. Yeah. So the, the work rate is basically... Um, what we're saying here isn't that, that it's not half of... Uh, Ireland. We're saying that when we rank all six teams, Ireland have had the most amount of activities in the game. Yeah. Then I think I come around. I think it's uh, or Wales, and then anyway down, moving down. Um, but what we're saying here is that uh, Scotland have the second last, so they've got the lowest, second lowest work yeah. rate. That's what this this information here means. <clears throat> but these are kind of box scores, right? These are just sort of um, high-level view of analysis. This isn't stuff that we would be calling as as revolutionary from what we do. Not at all. It's actually, this is the easiest stuff that we do. Um, but what, what I want to try and bring through is the next slide, if we can show the next slide, which is, <clears throat> this is basically our grades. When we, when we take each player's interaction and we uh, aggregate the first half and the second half, so for... In this slide, we have two uh, lines. One is for Ireland and one is for Scotland. The lines on the left show the the work rate and the quality of the work rate in the first half and the quality of the work rate in the second half. Mm. And this is sort of analysis that we would have provided into um, Ogara, Ron Ogara last year. And he would have been able to look at trends and and the way in which Leinster play. They were able to identify that Leinster had a significant drop-off in the quality of their performances in the second half. And that's what this indicates. Is that... 
Is that fitness or is it change in personnel or what is it or is it the tactics of kind of reserving yourself for like Ireland have finished like the Fr- French game they finished so strongly. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, <clears throat> this so this this line the, what we're showing here is the trend in, in Ireland's play at the moment isn't that they're finish that they're finishing poorly. That was for Leinster last year. Mm. Ireland are actually dropping off significantly at the end of the first half. Yeah, mm. um, that's interesting. So there's a big drop off, and that's that could be just because they're, they're you know, and it, this is this is if you're looking at this from an analytical perspective, this first half view is kind of what you want to see. You want to see the players, you know, being as you know, come out of the blocks, be as uh, tuned in as possible, and then have a drop off throughout this first half. So that's that's what this indicates. But what we want to try and identify is how do we identify the difference between a team um, and the quality of their performance? And this shows basically we have Scotland, Ireland are better. There's basically six sections per, per half. Ireland are significantly better in one, two, three sections, while Scotland are slightly better in one and better in, in one. So <clears throat> what we're trying to say here is is that using the box scores, we can kind of tell a story, but using the analytics and the, the grades that we collect, we can actually predict to some extent what will happen if the game plays out in the same way as, as we'd expect. But Stupid question alert here, Derek, <clears throat> from me. But like, So you're seeing figures there for people who are uh, listening as opposed to watching 3.47, 3.44, Ireland kind of dropping off to 3.28 towards yeah. the end of the second half. What do these numbers mean? How do you quantify something like work rate? So we we, we say, okay, um, we look at passes, for instance. If we, t- we t- give a, scra- a grade of one to five on a pass, a pass that's a turnover is a one and a perfectly timed pass is a five. A rook is a one that results in a penalty or turnover that's dangerous and a five is a perfectly uh, body position, down low, technique perfect, protecting the ball. Carrying the ball is speed onto ball. So if a player is running as fast as they can, speeding, sprinting, then they get a five. If they're going backwards, they get a one. It's it's all of these scores are very very meticulous. So carrying to contact, for instance, if you spill the ball uh, uh, when you go into contact, you get a one. If you go backwards, you go two. Three is just somebody goes to ground. A four is they they break a tackle, but they go to ground. And a five is they break a tackle and they stay on their feet. So when we aggregate those scores and the Ireland line, there's there's 4,000 of these grades graded in this green line. It's the same for Scotland, probably a little bit less. But the idea here is, is that it's a very, very accurate score. So, you know, there's there's maybe three or 400 players involved in rooks. We can then say, okay, where does Ireland lie compared to Scotland using this analysis? And it's what we're trying to do is we're trying to take all this massive amounts of information and provide it in a kind of easy to understand view so you don't have to use your head you can just go alright Ireland are dropping off in the first half Yes. how can we try and change that trend you look at some of the other I'm just looking at some of the other stats from that first um, opening slide so you're, you're talking mm. penalties again so penalties against Ireland in fourth That that's yeah so they're, they're giving away that's something that we would look to, to say to Ireland and say look this is something that you you probably know you're, you're giving away too many penalties Yeah. Um, I think Andrew Porter probably get away with most of these. <laughs> so, but um, look, that's 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 something in my new detail. But like um, the idea here is, is that's, that's something to look out for. Ireland aren't going to be able to get break break Scotland down as much in that that kind of uh, halfway to their own to, to Scotland's twenty two as much as other teams because they're just not going to give away those penalties. 
Uh, you wanted to touch on some of the other games as well. Yeah, so I thought, England France. You've, you've similar stats for them. That I mean, this game's going to be fascinating on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I guess we we, we looked at England and Scotland as well. We kind of changed some of these stats were different because again, we want to try and show um, the you know a significant difference between them. So um, the things that are kind of really interesting are is that England are joint first with us with no cards, and uh, France are at the bottom. So. France are the most indisciplined team when it comes to Some cards. Things never change. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and penalties against uh, England are first, and um, France are fifth. So England you know, are hitting a lot of good metrics there, which seems see, a bit surprising. This is the issue with the current state of analysis. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to give you kind of a very broad view. But when we start to look into it in a little bit more detail. We, we provide a secondary layer of analytics, which is, you know, based on passing, carrying, tackling, kicking, the, the metrics, the skill sets that you want to know. Mm. And England aren't mm. quite at the top there. That adds up. Yeah. So what, what the one thing that, you know, we, we look at as well to try and take into consideration is um, passes pressured. So basically, England are number two when they pressure uh, France. So look out for that quick line defense, trying, trying to disturb France's game plan. Um, and then look, we, you know, obviously you'd expect this, but uh, England are sixth when it comes to offloads versus France, who are number one. So that whole idea of Jue Jue is <laughs> is very much in in line here. So if we just go into the next slide. Then we'll, we're just taking the same uh, view as um, as uh, the Ireland versus Scotland, where we're taking those thousands and thousands of grades and aggregating them by first half and second half and you can see that there's not there's not much of a difference between the two teams you know England are a little bit better in, in three of those sections and France are significantly better in one so you know again if, if we were to look at this and we were to you know think about this from a gambling perspective or put it from a game plan and also looking at the likes of um, I don't think France have won in, in Twickenham in you know 15-20 mm-hmm. years or something like that you know the, 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 the information that we see here would indicate that England are probably favourites when it comes to th- this game. Um, this data is just based on the Six Nations this year, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah the last three games. So yeah. it's all equivalent, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's a perfect example of how to use data to, to drive decision-making and actually improve performance. So for people listening as well, so England seeming by work rate, by half, seeming to finish each half slightly stronger than France have in the Six Nations so far? Yeah, and exactly, yeah. And England come out of the blocks in the second half as well, tuned in. Um, so watch out for for points scored. We we can actually layer over this where where teams are scoring their points as well in the same vein to show you where you know are, is this quality of performance equating to to scores. I would have presumed France were favourites, so there England like actually metrically have a. There's things wrong with France though. Yeah. There's things wrong wrong with France. Um, <clears throat> the the previous slide would, would would indicate that you know there's they're really not number one like they're number one at offloads, mm. but. You know it's the way they play. Is their it? work rate, the way in which they play, they're sixth in work rate. So the, the, we think we're not sure if you heard the previous pods, but we've been going, going on about this from the start. Even yeah. last summer, we were talking about it. The fact that the new rules that they've brought in mm. have increased the amount of ball and time played yeah. by twenty percent. That's per yeah. is that fr- that's French laziness or what? What's going on there? No, it's it, look. It's they've they play a very big pack, you know. And those if you if you're getting them to work twenty percent more, hiring. Yeah. Also. Yeah. yeah. The, but they've also used the most amount of subs. So they, their subs have played most amount of minutes. Now that's due to the cards. Mm. So those cards are the reason why that happens. Mm. So there's there's like four or five things that are kind of jumping at me saying, okay, they they 
they, every game they play, there tends to be more of these small little issues that are coming up rather than them fixing the issues that they have. Mm. So the, the, the trajectory of Ireland is still at a very you know steady pace, improving, you know, learning different ways to play, learning to play different teams. With with France, it's it's plateaued. They're not they're not going getting worse, but they're not getting better. The defense is getting worse, but their their attack is getting slightly better. I love trying to decipher whose t- halftime team talks are better based on these stats. Like you see yeah. Scotland coming out stronger in games than Ireland yeah. uh, in the second half, and similarly for England and France. The, the Gregor Townsend and Steve Borthwick team talks must be. That little bit more inspirational based on these numbers. It's also the changes you're making as well. Like True. in the sense yeah. of the, the third, the, the fourth quarter, where you probably do want to change your pack a bit, like because they're getting tired or whatever. The twenty percent thing as well, like it's mad. It's like the World Cup in football, where all of a sudden, like you're just you're dealing with like twenty percent more time because yeah. of, ex- of injury time, and it changes so much in the dynamic. Yeah, well, it's not. Um, it wouldn't be as effective. In soccer, I don't think because mm. it's not a physical sport. But mm. When you've got guys running at each other for so tired, they're not conditioned to mm. do it. And then you, you you get a yellow or a red card <laughs> mm. at the start of the game, and all of a sudden your game plan changes. It's it's very much it's it's really has changed the game, but in a better way, right? Mm. Like it's the game is more free flowing. There's more passing. There's more evasion, which is fundamentally what rugby is, right? So that's that's that can be good. The, the, I can foresee the fact that players are going to reduce in size and skill level is going to increase, which is what you want. And would the stats suggest Scotland or, our, or the Scottish game or the England game is more of the banana skin for Ireland in this quest for the Grand Slam? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> Ireland are very much based around process and understanding the way in which we play. And the fact we've got so many leaders in so many positions, it means that we're able to... Uh, the, the coaching staff are able to get that game plan over the players and players just take it over. Mm. Okay. But if you have any of those kinks in that group of players, like Scotland might have, with, you know, they a red card, so they're a couple of players that are missing. That's, you know, in Ireland with the work rate that we have, even if Scotland get ahead, and I can imagine, I can, I can foresee Scotland doing something a bit quirky, a bit different, you know, like I think it was 2017, they, they, the quick line-out throw to the to the um, centre scoring the try wow. I, I can imagine something like that happening again maybe potentially with Scotland but I, <clears throat> if, if Ireland can continue to keep that ball in play the, Ireland's work rate will, should 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 do it Battle for the wooden spoon or to avoid the wooden spoon <laughs> rather than Rome Saturday afternoon Yeah so uh, there's some really glaring analysis um, <clears throat> ideals here from, from, from Wales especially there's one thing that is very interesting. They've used the most amount of players in the competition. Right. Uh, England have used the least amount. Um, but the thing that that it doesn't bode well to a certain extent for for Wales is their defensive game plan. They're they're doing a very high pressured game plan, but they're also having the most amount of uh, tackles after ball. Mm. So after when a ball is passed, they're still continuing to tackle. As soon as you do that, though, the, the what happens is that the the players. Uh, there's gaps in the defensive line mm. and what that's what the pass is pressured so Italy are six so Italy are very passive in their defensive line but the way Italy play they're very very fast they're very very quick they're very very quick at moving the ball I would imagine that this would probably be a reasonably high scoring game because of that mm. because Italy have got such fast backs and they run the ball so quickly even if they're missing Car- What's his name? I can't, I can't pronounce it. 
I'm not going to attempt the Italian Carvisi, yeah. <laughs> Columns there. Carvisi, yeah, yeah. Language um, guy. Yeah, so, but uh, the, the point here is is that if, if Wales can come out and try and, um, you know, increase the work rate, um, they, they could. And also, like, Wales, they do contest most of the uh, plays. They do contest most of the breakdowns of all the teams. So that's that's... It's quite old school. Britain's contested. Uh, Wales are in first. Yeah. Italy sixth compared yeah. to the other Six Nations teams. So Italy again quite passive in defence. They'll allow you to get the ball and retain the ball. They won't try and steal it. While Wales, which it could have something to do with the age of their team, and they're not willing to run as much, mm-hmm. and they're just willing to get to a breakdown and they'll con- they'll make a uh, they'll contest a breakdown, but not expected to actually turn over the ball they're just doing because they're there but do you have a general figure for what home advantage is worth in uh or does that vary kind of i guess from ground to ground because like it's funny in the in the pandemic yeah all of a sudden just home advantage certainly in football practically just didn't matter anymore it it literally is all about the crowd funnily enough and that was that actually seemed to prove it and uh, you'd imagine this is a big factor for italy here yeah i i think it can be cyclical though right Mm. I think you can get a coach that will be able to work with a specific type of players to try and get more out of them for that ideal before the game. But if 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 you don't play well at the start of a game, you you're going to lose a crowd. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. No matter how much you you have home field advantage. So I don't know. Like it's it's hard for Italy because like they they have shown improvement, but they're not showing it on the scoreboard. You know, it's Capuozzo. Sorry that the Italy are missing the course. Yeah, they're certainly yeah. scoring more. Like they're certainly yeah. scoring more, but they're obviously losing games. Yeah, we, I don't think we have enough data to actually you know accurately identify the the, the, the difference between home and away. Mm. Work rate by half. It yeah. looks looks to be Derek. The time to, <clears throat> to really get at the Italians is just before half time. Yeah, yeah. There are or try and slow down Wales. Yeah. is more so. So in this line, the the Welsh um, are they have their best section in the, at the end of the half. So basically, they're they're they, they're slow to get into the game. You probably expect that with the age uh, of their team, um, which is quite old. But they they do improve, improve, improve in the first half. Um, so if you're if you're Italy, if you can weather that storm at the end of the first half, then you've got a really good chance of winning this. So for people that are listening, we you know Italy are um, are better in two sections, and Wales is better in one section. So it's a lot closer than the others. Again, you have also been busy picking a, a React Rugby team of the tournament. Now, what I love about this is, generally speaking, we, when people pick teams of the tournament, it's bias. People have their opinions. There's no opinion that's necessarily wrong. Yep. This is firmly based. In stats, Derek. Yeah, this is this is as uh, nerdy as you're going to ever get. <laughs> <laughs> so you have statistical perspective, yeah. So maybe talk us through the team. So in terms of the the, the uh, personnel, France and Italy have no players. Wales have one. Ireland have four players in the team of the tournament. England and Scotland have five each. So talk yep. us through it. Yeah, I suppose um, Pierre, who's the uh, loose head prop from Scotland, he grades really, really highly because he's really good at uh, tackling, he's really good at carrying, and he's really good at rooking. So he does those three things, and obviously he's really good at scrummaging. So if you take those three things in open play, we weight those players towards what you know the average prop does. Mm. And by doing that, we can then identify who's the best player based on rival rate, accuracy at the, at the rook, you know, tackle, where they make the tackle, all, all these things that we can rank... You know, there's like, there's like 92 separate grades or, or qualitative metrics that we use. 
Um, so really nerdy stuff here. But the idea is, is that once we filter by position, we can then say who's the best player by week or by tournament or by whatever it is. And so that way we can, you know, see that James Ryan would be, you know, he's he's included. So the, the Irish players that are involved are James Ryan, uh, Caelan Doris, Josh van der Feer and Hugo Keenan. And what you probably find is a lot of people out there, oh, you don't need to do analysis to do get that. that. I, I could have told you that. Well, you've got a lot of French people who are scoffing at this as well. They're like, how can <laughs> we not have one player? We've the best scrum half in the world. But obviously the metrics suggest this. Well, so we, 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 I, I don't have the actual. I could, I could open it up, but it's not great uh, radio. <laughs> but uh, and I like sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, but you know, um, he he hasn't had the best game. You know, best um, game, and like the way in which France are playing, they need to pass the ball more. So the likes of um, uh, Dupont, he he. He's a good passer, but he's a really good carrier. Mm. But if those, if he's not a leg carry, if he if he doesn't have his forwards making front forward ball mm. and making, you know, so h- how scrum halves break the game then is is that they they don't just break after first phase, because there's never gaps there for first phase. There has to be for go forward ball. They need mm. to be able to get over the game line and actually make make uh, you know cause disruption in the defensive line. That's where he then goes. But if he's not allowed to do that, and he doesn't, yeah. the French aren't doing that, the pack aren't doing that for him, then his grades aren't going to be as high as somebody um, like uh, uh, Jamie. I think is I can't even pronounce his name. Sorry, <laughs> the, the Portier, yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. he is really, really accurate at passing, but he's also gets the breakdown really, really quickly. So he's he's doing what a quintessential scrum half should be doing mm. and why is Finn Russell so why is he number one then as out of so Finn Russell I was having a bit of a go at him last week but he's <laughs> he's well, actually yeah, you've got to have a go at him and love him so you got to big up the Scots this week <sighs> get them on their pedestal he's one of the reasons I, I certainly as a floating rugby fan I love yeah. watching him play because yeah. I just it's just like it's something you, you don't know what's happening here a lot of the time. Yeah. obviously I, he don't <clears> but I don't well that's another thing about the game on, on Sunday um, the the uh, Finn Russell actually had the most amount of touches of all players last week. When you take away the scrum half, because the scrum half just mm. passed the ball. But when you take away all the players, he had the most amount of impact on the game last week. And he's, you know, he's brilliant. He makes, I think he has the most amount of turnovers for 10s. I think the closest is four. He has 12. Okay. Wow. So, he, you know, he does turn the ball over, but he also has turnovers four. So, he, you know, he has 12 turnovers against... But he also has two. Um, but he kicks the ball a lot as well. Like so, he's kind of like he will give the ball away. Like yeah, but he, he uses away that skip pass. But I'd imagine for for Friday or Sunday's game, Ireland's team will have enough homework done about Finn Russell. And I'd imagine that although Finn will probably probably bring in to be crossfield kicks, there'll be you know things to try and disrupt what Ireland are going to do in defence at the start. But I think Ireland will shut down Finn Russell. What do they do? I, if I was playing against him, I'd just blitz one person, uh, uh, you know, whatever, average 14, I think he's, his average pass right, he, he, he prim- primarily passes off his right. Okay. So he, he, he thinks there's like a 15% discrepancy between him passing left and passing right. So he, wow. he doesn't get the ball, so when he gets the ball and he's anyway under pressure, he won't pass off his left, right. He'll kick it. So what I would imagine is, is that the Irish team will blitz outside Finn Russell, they not 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 directly beside him, but mm-hmm. like fifteen meters outside him, 
and then that will mean that as soon as he gets the ball, and he's always going to give that pass because he likes passing, that that'll just blitz the defence and it will just slow down any uh, forward, go forward ball. Uh, that and also so the other teams that they've played against, they commit to the tackle much quicker. So they'll they'll run up and they'll hit Finn Russell <clears throat> when he makes a pass, and then what'll happen is is that Finn Russell will then do a, a, a a dummy pass and they'll all follow it the next time mm. and then he'll go through so there's Ireland will know all this they've got too many good players to, to, to fall for that um, so I, I definitely foresee them yeah Ireland yeah some people listening to the, uh, the, the full team that followed that team of the tournament based exclusively on stats Skoman for Scotland uh, Loosehead Turner at Hooker you've got uh, Sinclair for England at uh, Tighthead as well second row of Chesham and James Ryan uh, Ludlow Doris and Van der Fleer no arguments there. The, uh, uh, Van der Van Portfleet, as we said, at scrum half, and Finn Russell at number ten. You've got Hawkins, the only Welsh inclusion at number twelve, and uh, Hugh Jones as well. And then uh, no arguments with that uh, that one uh, number eleven, Duan Van der Merva, Hugo Keenan, as you said, Derek at, at uh, fifteen, and Malins at the, at fourteen as well. So uh, listen, people can uh, can let us know what they want us to touch on next week. We've got a fairly big game the week after this one if we beat the Scots. This weekend, all being well. Someone in the comments has said, uh, Jack has said, any stats on how many times James Lowe has to tie his hair back up? Potentially we'll look at that next week. I mean, week. presume you have that covered. It's a difficult yeah. one. We'll look at it next week, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we, we can add it in there. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a fairly important one. Uh, Derek, great stuff as always. Thanks yeah. a million. Cheers, lads. Brilliant stuff, Derek McNamara there. ReactRugby.com, as we said. Uh, 9.19am on this Wednesday morning's O2B AM. Here are some highlights on the O2B podcast network. Coming up across the day, you've got the Hurling Pod, you've got the Football Show, and Dean Rock. Uh, who was speaking in conversation with Ashling O'Reilly. You can follow OTB across social and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network after this very short break. The former Ireland international, Sean O'Brien, previewing Ireland versus Scotland. OTB AM. All right, 20 past nine on this Wednesday morning's OTB AM. Delighted to welcome the uh, former Leinster Ireland international, Lions star and the current Leinster contact skills coach, Sean O'Brien, to the show this morning. Uh, Sean speaking ahead of the Ireland versus England legend, Legends charity match, which will take place in Energia Park, Donnybrook, on St. Patrick's Day in aid of rugby charities both in Ireland and the UK. Tickets are available to purchase on universe.com. Sean, good morning. Um, the, the, the term charity match usually says uh, they're going to take it easy. It's nice and handy. But Ireland versus England... Never really pans out that way, does it? It'll, it'll get quite competitive, I'd imagine. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think it'll be a little bit competitive anyway. But um, I think from uh, previous years, it's been a very good, spirited game anyway, and nothing, nothing too major happens. So it's more about um, the after, the after party, and um, the charity is what more people are focused on rather than the rugby. So, um, but it should be an entertaining game, and uh, looking forward to being a part of it. Presumably, you have to keep yourself in decent nick then for all of these these charity matches that crop up because you just never know when you're going to get the call up. <laughs> well, I'm back training there now. I pulled I pulled the hammy off the bone uh, four and a half months ago now, so I'm back. <clears throat> hopefully, back with Nace in the next couple of weeks. But um, I think that game will be my my intro back into rugby um, as such. So um, yeah, I'm I'm training away and uh, keeping myself in reasonable condition anyway. Uh, we, we, we'll take a, a good look ahead to, to this weekend's game uh, Sean Scotland-Ireland Murrayfield Sunday afternoon 3 o'clock it's always a fixture that brings up a little bit of spice in the build-up um, 2017 I guess and Busgate being one of the, the famous the famous incidents the, the 27-22 defeat for Ireland uh, on that occasion 
What do you remember about that day? Because Murrayfield is, is a tough place to go, generally speaking, but when you have, I guess, an incident that uh, derails the, the build-up to the kickoff, doesn't help matters. No, it doesn't, I suppose. And I think, you know, everyone's talking about 2017 and uh, even 2014 as well and a few bits and pieces like that to bring it up to pass. I think this this whole team is just in a different mm. uh, mindset now, in a different place completely. So um, nothing really phases them. I don't. I think they've, they've prepped really well, obviously, and you can see that in the way they've attacked the first three games. Um, so nothing, nothing will change. I don't think this weekend. The one, the one thing that I'm worried about is that Scotland have uh, have been playing the best rugby they've played in the last few years. So um, their attack is very good. Their defence is very good. Um, their set piece is really strong. So they have developments in their game that have improved an awful amount. And they're a very dangerous side. So Ireland will have to be defensively brilliant uh, this weekend to uh, negate the threats that Scotland have. How much? What? How much do you read into the Italy game, Sean? Like on on the one level, Ireland um, coughed up a few tries, weren't great. But on the other, like it's surely good to come through a, a challenge like that as well, and to maybe learn more about the team as well and the players on the fringes. Ah, yeah, I, th- I think it is. I think if you look back at the game and you br- and you break it down, the minute details of it, it's it's it was the basics that we done that we didn't do really well at times against Italy. Um, you know, whether that be a defensive read or a, a silly offload or um, a fifty-fifty ball. And um, to be fair to Italy, I think they've they've grown an awful amount. Um, you know, their attack, even though at times it's it's chaotic and madness from their own twenty-two. I think their attack has has come on leaps and bounds. And the one thing that Italy are, are good at in this championship is they've been very disciplined, which in 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 uh, previous years has been very very poor. And that's probably the thing that gives teams access is discipline and how good you are at it. So Italy, to be fair, have come on an awful amount, and they've they've given every every game they've been involved in they've they've caused trouble. So. Um, they're getting a lot better, so you have to give hats off to them first. And in Ireland, just weren't they just weren't clinical enough with um, that decision making? I thought at times and the smarts around the game, but they'll have learned a lot from that. And you know, they know if they defend like that this weekend, that they'll be in big trouble. That's got that uh, Scottish centre partnership, Sean, is um, is concerning for Ireland. Something to to certainly have to contend with. We were discussing Finn Russell there before you came on. Um, I know he had to go back and play with Racing last weekend, part of his contract, um, which is a, maybe a minor distraction that he didn't need during the Six Nations. But uh, c'est la vie. Um, how, how can Ireland contend with that with that pairing? Because it clearly, looking on paper, is one of the the, the areas that Scotland will will be most dangerous. Yeah, they will. Their, their whole backline is very dangerous. I think the the important thing for Ireland is to not defend any individuals. Um, you know, and defend as one big green wall. I think um, you know if you start if you start really going after Russell and everyone has that mindset to go after Russell or to go after you Jones or whoever may be this playing, it's uh, you know it's it's that's what they want. Finn Russell wants someone to jump out at him. Finn Russell wants someone to put a lot of pressure on him because there's space either side of them then. So if people aren't connected or a defensive line isn't connected with Finn Russell in front of you, you're asking for trouble. So it's just about staying connected and, and you know, the, the micro chat and communication that the boys will have this weekend will be very important about when to go get them, when they're together or when not to go and get them and just keep our line. Um, so, you know, it's important that he feels pressure 
but but the right pressure um, and not individual pressure where someone's just trying to go and solve something or try and shut them down quickly. It's it's a it's a, it's going to be a team effort, I think, defensively this weekend. It's funny. I'm looking at one of the comments coming in here on the on the YouTube. Scotland will want to leave the stadium after five minutes. It will be too easy for Ireland. Like Andy Dunn was on with uh, with Jerry Thornley on. I think it was Wednesday night rugby last weekend, and he was saying he. Ex- he, he thinks Adam would, yeah, very, very confident. Bullish, Adam yeah. would do a number on them, I think, is the phrase he used. Uh, 12 to 15 yeah. points, that kind of bracket. It, Sean, it strikes me that this Irish team, regardless of all this talk and the hype and expectation in some quarters that Ireland will, quote-unquote, do a number on Scotland, there seems to be no complacency in this Irish squad whatsoever. No, I don't think there is at the minute. And, you know, people will obviously expect, they expect Ireland to win against Scotland at the weekend. Um, and the lads probably expect to win, obviously, as well, and want to win. But, like, it's a different kettle of fish going over into into the middle of Murrayfield with a very dangerous Scottish team that are in a different place than they were 12 months ago. Um, so, you know, that, they have to contend with that first and foremost and make sure physically they're there early on in the game. And, yeah, I think, yeah, I think Ireland will win, obviously, and um, I think they'll break them eventually. But there's a lot of factors in the game, and... As I said, defensively, I think they're going to have to be brilliant this weekend. Um, you know, but I, I'd be very wary of this game. I This is the one that I said at the start of the championship that uh, was going to be the trickiest. So I don't think it'll be 12 or 15 points, but I think I think there'll probably be, it could be six or nine maybe in the end. But um, yeah, it's, 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 it's going to be a cracking weekend, I think, for Robbie. How would you assess the respective packs in the game? Um. I think I think the I think the Scottish scrum is flying at the minute, um, and their set piece has been pr- pretty good. I think Ireland's I think Ireland would be I'd, I'd say they're disappointed with with what they got out of their uh, line out attack the last time, um, and there's little elements in the scrum. So I think we'll see we'll hopefully see a different animal now this weekend because they're going to have to be better. Um, so it's fairly evenly matched, I think, and you know you have. The likes of Tyg and these boys as well are, are coming back in, so Ireland will have a bit of fresh energy there. That's that's a, an excellent point. Like the, the the fact that Ireland have managed to to do so well, uh, Sean, without Jameson Gibson Park, without Tyg Furlong, um, some of these players that are that are so important, Robbie Henshaw being another one as well. The strength and yeah. depth is clearly is clearly there. And like, I mean, I'm not getting too far ahead of myself thinking about Ireland Scotland in in Paris on October seventh, but. To win a World Cup or to to get deep into a tournament like that, you need that strength and depth, and clearly that's there. Yeah, it, it is there now, and, and I think I, I said during the week, um, I think there's going to be more players that are going to put their hands up in the in the coming months. Like it, there's a lot of rugby to be played between now and the World Cup, um, so it's great. To, it's great that Ireland can be successful without a tight furlong, James Gibson Park, Robbie Henshaw, um, even a Gary Ringrose the last time. Um, you know they're 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 key players within the within that within that team. So it's it's great that we have the depth now and the people and the confidence in those people to just go here. You're you're starting this weekend and it's seamless. Um, you look at someone like Tom O'Toole, like how go- how good he's been since he's mm-hmm. come in. He's been brilliant. Um, and the centres McCluskey, uh, brilliant as well. Um, so I'm I'm glad to see all those boys that are actually taking their chance now and going really well. Tom O'Toole, like, could he do a job from the start? Like on, on the other side of the things, I guess. Take for long. It depends how fit he is, whether he starts the game or not. But but O'Toole has been 
been a revelation and done the done the job as you say exactly what it says on the tin every time he's come in he's been brilliant yeah i think i think tom will have a lot of confidence from from what he's the impact he's had on games since he's come in so if he were to start him i, I don't see why he wouldn't have that confidence and um you know add to the game what he brings with that ball kind ability and his work rate so it's great to have tight heads that are able to do that throughout our squad um so yeah, he's uh, he's been very good. He's been excellent in the games he's come on. He's he made a real impact. Um, so it's 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 great to see. And because you would worry about that position up until um, up until a couple of months ago, you'd worry about the depth we have there. But we've 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 covered now, and it's um, it's, a, it's a great place to be. Yeah, is there clarity in the out half situation now, Sean? Do you think? I th- I think there is. Yeah, I think there is. I still think um, you know Ross has done very well. Um, I think he would have been probably frustrated after the last game in terms of um, just the cohesion between him and and Stu and um, Bundy probably wasn't where it needed to be in terms of like he has two big boys outside him trying to move around, trying to communicate. Um, they're different kind of to a ringer or, or a Henshaw in, in terms of the communication and, and the way they have to work off the ball. So... Um, but I do think he's he's been excellent. Um, and then you have someone like Jack in the background there that's in, involved in the squad, in, involved in the squad, seeing what's going on, learning from the likes of Johnny, learning from Ross as well. Young player who's who's who has a bit about him. I I, I really like him. I like the way he he likes contact as well. He likes um, getting involved in breakdowns and bits and pieces. And he's a niggly player uh, for a ten. That's it's great to have. Um, so to have that depth now, and then underneath that, then then you've you've another few boys who are who are chomping at the bit to get back in. Um, where's Kaelin Doris's best position, Sean? Because he, he played the first two games at number eight, uh, number six against Italy. Seems to have that little bit more. He seems to enjoy number eight slightly slightly more and have that little bit of freedom. But where do you think he's he's best utilised? It's a good problem to have, I guess. Yeah, it's a good problem to have. I think eight is his position, though. It's it's just where he has played his best rugby, isn't it? Yeah. Um. So, you know, that's that's him nailed on there in my in my head anyway. Um. I don't think there's anyone really challenging him too much at the minute in that eight jersey. Um. So he's he's just been phenomenal, though. His stats and his uh, his work rate and his little touches and uh, his skill set has been his has been phenomenal, really. Um. And one of the things that makes Ireland really good at the minute. Um, he's a very, very important player for us. That that thing you mentioned about young players getting a chance and and you know Andy Farrell not being afraid to to kind of change things around game to game. You know players like uh, John Hodnett, Jamie Osborne that that maybe aren't getting massive game time at the moment. They can stay encouraged and and even for that thirty two man World Cup squad, they can be massively encouraged because Andy Farrell clearly has no issues throwing youth in there. Absolutely, and I think you know. As I said, there's a there's a bit of bit of rugby to be played between now and then. Um so those boys are going to challenge, obviously. Those boys are going to be they're the ones who are, are chasing the boys who are in that position at the minute. And you even have the likes of a, a Ryan Baird as well, who who who's trying to kick on and push on. Um so the the senior lads or the older crew that's in there are going to be under pressure. They know that there's pressure there, but on the flip side of that, it drives them to be better, it drives their standards as well. So it's 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 a great place that the whole environment is in and the depth that we have and the younger guys that aren't even in the environment that are playing well week in, week out with their provinces. Um, so it's, it's all, it's, it's positive in terms of who we have in the production line and, and, you know, where they're going. So it's, 
it's a great place for Irish rugby to be in and a great place for provinces to be in too uh, predictions Sean for for this weekend uh, you, sound, you sound reasonably confident but as you, like, as you say it's tough it's tough to do a grand slam when, when the teams are so evenly matched at the moment and Scotland look look different than they have done in previous years Absolutely and I, I said at the start of the year um, that I didn't think there would be a grand slam win- winner but mm-hmm. you know just seeing the way the Irish team have, have gone about their business um, you know it, it is a possibility obviously I'd love to see it um, I still think Ireland will be too good this weekend um, so I'm going to say Ireland by six. We take that. I think we take that. Are there any mad team selections or, or players you'd throw into the, the starting fifteen? Um, like just looking at the squad, you've got Kieran Frawley back in, Sexton of course back in the team. No place for Joey Carberry again, but there are options there. Yeah, there are options there. Um, there's lots of options. I don't think I'd like the selection. I think Andy and the, and the coaching staff have been spot on. Um, in my eyes anyway um, it's been great it's great balance I think um, within the team and um, they tried a few things in Italy uh, some of them might have uh, might need a bit of fine tuning but in general I think um, you know the team the team kind of picks itself at the minute um, when everyone is fit and uh, you know the the bench we have is incredibly strong now as well so it's it's a great it's a great complaint to have yeah, it's all positive. All roads to Murrayfield this Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock. Sean, great stuff as always. Thanks a million. Thanks, lads. Cheers. Brilliant. Sean O'Brien there. Looking ahead to Scotland versus Ireland this weekend. Are you excited? Are you optimistic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Yeah. I, think the, I think the confidence, the body language, the squad depth that they have, I think they just... Um, I, was, I, I, I never felt against Italy they were going to do anything other than win. And the, I think the French performance brought Ireland to the level that they need to. And yeah. I, I still think... Um, yeah, I just think they're they're finishing the match so strongly. Their 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 forwards are so strong. Um, very few, very little flaws. And I have to enjoy watching this team far more than when Joe Schmidt was manager. And I don't know whether that that's probably evolution as well. And that, um, and maybe maybe some of the attacking players are a little bit better now as well. And Keenan has come in, but they're they're a better team to watch. I think. Yeah, they, sure. They, they look like to me. They look like they're able to conform to the game plan but also express themselves maybe a bit more and that's just from being a, a sort of a flaky rugby fan but I, I find them I really do enjoy watching them I think this is going to be a cracking game because Scotland are this is a you know this is to me this is the big game of the two that's left this for the trip for the Grand Slam rather there's relative confidence in the YouTube comments as well uh, England aren't exactly a challenge too easy to beat no team can challenge Ireland Springboks and All Blacks are weak well, England, ah. England can't England have kicking issues and um I, 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 I'd be amazed if England beat Ireland to be honest yeah it'll be a decent game on Paddy's weekend if we can uh, get over the, the threat of Scotland this weekend uh, someone else in the comments pointing out that Johnny was uh, all for Liverpool winning the Champions League you've got that wrong the comment Connor, that uh, Johnny was actually saying was they're close to the Champions League as in close to the top four Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Clarify. Like, five wins on the bounce and no goals conceded. I, I yeah. didn't see that. But like, give it, give it a you goal. Know, he wasn't Madrid. saying they were going to necessarily usurp Real Madrid's lead in the burnabout. They were, give give they, it a goal, though. Like this is know. this is not a vintage Real team. Give it a goal, Liverpool, and you know who knows. Yeah, nine thirty-seven a.m. on this Wednesday morning's OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Do you want to touch on this as well? Uh, just this is a a lovely initiative. Girls in Green. It's a colouring book for uh, for uh, young girls and boys across Ireland but uh, add some colour to the Irish women's football team in their path to the World Cup it's from a uh, game we love Stewie Byrne is involved ah, in this lovely. so uh, Stewie and uh, Shauna Cook will join myself and Adrian in studio on Friday morning so to be to discuss this book but uh, it's dedicated to all females past, present and future 
who have given effort, time and passion to improve the standards of football for all. But it's a really good idea. It's kind oh, of the yeah. journey to the World Cup and uh, plenty of activities and colouring books and that famous Amber Barrett goal touched on as well. That's, uh, that's uh, yeah, that even looks like Amber Barrett. It's funny. The, the it, pod- it's, it's absolutely uncanny, some of the photos. It's, it's, yeah. uh, and um, Katie McCabe there as well. It's nothing but bring you back to your kind of youth as well. It was funny, the, the podcast, the LOI podcast we do, uh, our producer Derek, his daughter Lucy's big into football, and he said we're after getting the LOI season pass. There, Lucy just wants to watch all the games. Brilliant. So yeah, so now he goes. I'm I'm picking up now, so I'm watching like highlights of Rovers and Derry because Lucy wanted to watch, uh, you know, the games herself and wanted to. She's mad into women's football, men's football, and um, you know, it's it's yeah, the, the LOI is in a great place, partly because of the underage leagues, mm-hmm. partly because the standard is good, and partly because we're bringing in the umbrella of um, all the the women's teams as well as women's underage and everyone all of a sudden there are hundreds of people more involved and feeling part of it absolutely great initiative that one from again we love so girls in green is the name of the colour in book so you can look it up all the parents out there international women's day as well so uh, good time to mention that uh, Johnny it's been a pleasure thanks Shane as per usual tomorrow watch out who you find in your Dublin saunters today yeah, yeah, the Dorn family might be there case, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly I might avoid them today mm. and just enjoy the rest of my day uh, on tomorrow morning's show we've got uh, more Ireland Scotland build up with Craig Chalmers and Alison Miller Shawnee Johnston We'll discuss Kildare's disastrous start to Division 2 this year and a potential drop to the Talton Cup for them if they don't pick things up very, very quickly. We'll, of course, we'll talk Cavan with Shawnee as well and, and how well they're doing so far in Division 3. Reaction to tonight's Champions League knockout game, Spurs in action. Martin Lipton will join us. Plus, the impressionist, Conor Murr, will join uh, myself and Jer and tell us why you had to be there. OCB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.